All right, all right, right. So, hello, welcome to the Brazen Broadcast. We are called the Brazen Broadcast, the Brazen Broadcast, the Brazen Broadcast. I can never say it right first time, so I'm saying it a hundred times now. Welcome to the Brazen Broadcast. Right, that's it. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to the Brazen Broadcast. I'm Oxymandeus, a man with more sheds than working fingers, and I am joined with Chitskoy. Hi. Michael X. Hey guys. And Reva. Hey everyone. And today, gentlemen, uh, we are here to discuss the recent Golden Hat competition. So we're going to be talking about the uh, the entrance of this competition, breaking down the conversions, the paint jobs that we've seen, and for the listeners at home who, for whatever reason, don't know about the Golden Hat competitions, our regular painting competitions, this was a hobgoblin-focused competition that we're going to be looking at today. So we're looking at what a lot of our users have been creating and painting uh, all around hobgoblins. Uh, but for, before we do that, we should probably uh, have a little catch-up, let everyone know what's going on in our hobby lives and hey, our lives, if you want to talk about it, um, outside of this podcast. And oh, I can start. Um, I have been... Uh, painting like a man possessed these last couple of days because uh i was going to be playing a game of 8th edition warhammer fantasy and uh i looked at my chaos dwarf collection my uh, kind of like norskan chaos dwarf collection and i totaled up what i had and i had about 1200 1300 points and this was for a 1500 point match and it was a doubles situation so um, i'd already committed my mate was going to give 1500 of Chaos Warriors. I was going to give 1500 of uh, of Chaos Dwarfs. And I was already just thought, okay, a few hundred points here. I can paint this in, in the couple of weeks I got into it. And uh, then at work, um, I work in a school and we, we had a government inspection. And anyone who's ever worked in a school, especially in Britain, when there's a government inspection, it absolutely, absol- absolutely absorbs your life. It completely owns your life for a week. So I got absolutely nothing done in terms of painting. So I ended up doing about a 12-hour painting marathon at the end of that week, painting until the wee hours of the morning to get these uh, these 20 blunderbusses and uh, and a cannon and crew uh, <laughs> ready for this competition. And uh, I got it done. I got it done in the end. I got it ready for the game. Uh, and then I was absolutely tabled by Wood Elves. And I think that unit that I painted was the first to be destroyed. They ran away because a scared horseman ran past them and spooked them, and they just fled off the board. So I'm really glad I spent my time doing it. I mean, they're pretty much doing what they want to do in any game of anything by doing that. But at the same time, you know, it, it doesn't sound hugely sporting. What, the game itself? Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting one. It was an interesting one, mate. So it was it was uh, supposed to be a tutorial game. I've I've not played uh, Warhammer Fantasy before. I've played lots of fantasy tabletop games, uh, but not the actual official. I've played all the imitators. I've not really played the original. Um, and it was a uh, a tutorial game, but um, and I was told it was going to be quite casual, quite a casual sort of game. But I think what I'm learning is um, every group has a different definition of what casual is, and these guys aren't 
nice nice fellas but but not fellas i regularly play and my gaming group uh what we call casual is um what a lot of people call beer and pretzels gaming isn't it that kind of like just proper laid back yeah. silly quite narrative chucking the dice most of uh your tactical decisions are completely shocking because you go oh, i'm not going to charge this turn your mate goes you're not going to charge this turn you're a pussy or something you go all right then i'm going to charge this turn you know <laughs> that's where a lot of your tactics come from uh yeah but these guys were um clearly from a much much more competitive background than me so they were really sporting in the sense that they were talking me through all of the rules and helping me to understand the mechanics of the game, but maybe not as sporting in the sense that their list was designed to absolutely melt face. Um, so I've, I've not really played did the whole rank and flank thing that much before, so I'm still learning the nuances of uh, how you how you uh, pivot the kind of... Uh, the units and yeah how you move them around the board their little 45 degree angle line of sights they've got going off the corners and that but the enemy um they're all bloody skirmishers or fast cavalry but just straight up ignore 90 percent of those rules so i'm kind of like waddling my units around the board in slow motion while these things are just wheeling around me flying eagles and fast cavalry and stuff wheeling around me and shooting me in the back and it felt a little bit like that old you know in cartoons where the bully's got his uh got his hand on the kid's head and he's swinging his fists but he's never going to touch him keen-eared listeners will have noted that you obviously were playing what eighth edition yeah yeah yet there wasn't a chaos dwarf army book which army book did you actually use i kind of flip-flopped but i ended up using the um uh, Warhammer Armies project one and I, I flip flop for a couple of reasons is that it's a new group that I've not played with before and I find that you've got to kind of test the waters and see if people feel free feel happy for you to use kind of like fan based stuff so first I thought alright let's let's go in with official and I read the, the Legion of Asgore list and I looked at it and I pointed up some stuff and it really is like a proper proper elite army that legion of asgore like it's a small model count and everything is absolutely nails it's walking around in super heavy like dark shard armor kind of stuff and it's like it doesn't really fit what i'm making with my chaos dwarfs my chaos dwarfs are like smelly barbarians running around in chain mail they're, they're not these kind of like mega elite things it, it felt a little bit like to use a kind of 40k analogy I wanted to play Space Marines, but the only list available was Grey Knights. It felt a bit like that. I could only use the kind of mega elite version. So then I started looking at the uh, Old Ravening Hordes, which would have been uh, the only legal list we would have had um, before Legion of Asgore. So that's a sixth edition list, but there have been a lot of tournament organisers that have written little erratas and stuff for it so that you could use it in seventh and early eighth. But again, the thing about the Ravening Hordes is that it fit my army well enough. It was just very, very restrictive. It was a get-you-by army list. There just wasn't a lot of choice yeah. in it. So I ended up landing on the um, Warhammer Armies project and asking permission from the group. And they said, they said, that's cool, that's cool. But just bear in mind, you know, you wouldn't be able to use it in a tournament or anything like that. And I delicately explained that. Oh, well, you must have been devastated. Yeah, but a, a Warhammer tournament is my... My idea of an absolute personal hell, so that's I was never going to be of a concern. But they said for casual games, they'd be happy for me to use the Warhammer Army projects. And the list is really nice. It's got the Ravening Horde stuff in it. 
It's got the Legion of Asgore stuff in it. It's even got the kind of 1980s stuff in it. It's got a little bit of everything. So I used the 8th edition version of that book. There is a 9th edition version of that book. And listeners might be thinking, 9th edition Warhammer? What's that about? But the Warhammer Armies projects have kind of created their own 9th edition of, of, of Warhammer. It's, I suppose what with um, the Old World game coming out, that'll probably be true 9th. This will probably be viewed historically more like a... Um, 8.5 fan edition they change a few things they've they've changed a couple of uh units across the books and they've changed a couple of the special rules they've also um introduced things like i think in warhammer you have light armor or heavy armor and they've introduced a concept of medium armor to the mix and a few little bits like that some people love it some people don't it's just another facet of the really fractured way we play warhammer these days where there are just so many options of games you can play isn't there yeah, so I ended up using the uh, the Warhammer Army Project uh, 8th edition thing, and I, I found it to be a really, really cool book and a really fun book to um, to make an army out of. I'd say the, the learning curve I had was, well, my list was what I had, so there was no list writing as such. I used all the models I have painted for this army. I had about 60 Chaos Dwarf troops, some with guns, some with pointy sticks. I had 20 Hobgoblins, and I had a giant and a gun, a leader and a magician. And uh, I think the thing that I've learned very early doors is one of our real kind of unique selling points as an army is our art is our artillery. And if I'd have had instead of one cannon, two, three cannons, maybe even four at a push, then I could have threatened a lot of that stuff that was dancing around the table because I'd have had big arcs covering most of the table then, as opposed to um, me plodding forward in slow motion when they were dancing around me. I'm no tactician. Hey, if any listeners actually have a clue on how to beat Wood Elves using uh, Warhammer Army Projects in 8th Ed, please send your comments in on the postcard. I'm all ears. <laughs> all it takes is just hitting them with the big book. Hitting them with the big book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest problem you probably faced was two versus two battles are, are well, it's, it's difficult because armies that have a lot of skirmish options they are at a slight advantage because usually cannons and stuff like that are either special or rare or, or um, limited in a way you can take them. Uh, while some armies have skirmishers in their core, so they can take like uh, at least 25%. Um, so skirmish versus uh, war machine armies, well, lower points are, are a, a downside for um artillery armies in my opinion yeah and i only had 1500 to play with because the other 1500 was made up of um was made up of uh chaos warriors and we fell foul to some of those horrible spells that um that hit your initiative there's one that drags you down into the dirt and there's another one where there's a vortex swirling around and if you're failing initiative you're just straight up dead there's no kind of ward saves or anything fancy like that going on you, you're just dead so I lost uh, like whole units to those sorts of spells as well, which was something I've got to say I didn't enjoy. Um, and that's something that's a Warhammer thing, probably a, an 8th Ed thing, where I've been playing Erewhon for so long now, and that is a much more low fantasy system. I'm used to um, magic adding a bit of flavour to the game, but I'm not used to it dominating the game in that way. I had one spellcaster who was like a level 2 uh, spellcaster, 
And I think on their combined 1500 points to Wood Elf players, I think they had four spellcasters ranging from level one up to level four or three or whatever. They, they had a load. They had a load of spellcasters. So there's a lot of magic being chucked my way. And I just wasn't... I think where the Era 1, the game I play a lot of, is so low fantasy. Magic in that game is like, oh, look, you've, you've zapped someone in that unit and they've, they've died. Or you've done this thing. Oh, that's inconvenienced that unit a little bit. It kind of is a, a slight tactical option, but it's nowhere near as kind of like a offensive and um, as as uh, as powerful. But I do know just from kind of like forum crawling and and watching videos online, a lot of Warhammer fans do still level that as a uh, a negative two v eight fed system. A lot of people say, you know, sick fed is your more kind of grim and gritty Warhammer, and eight fed is maybe your more high fantasy Warhammer. Like Age of Sigmar's just around the corner, crazy spells are coming, that sort of thing. I don't know, you guys that have played it more might have a different opinion than that. I mean, if I build a Lizardman army list for 2,000 points, like 1,000 points are my level 4 slon and the bunker he's in. So, I mean, magic is very big in this edition. And as you say, not so much in 6th or older. Um... I think it's 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 a tactic if if you know that magic is big and you can um um prepare for it then then it's fine you know if you can counter it then it's okay when when I had the first chaos dwarf battle with the legion of escort rules I mean I was not really in a in a disadvantage with my magic in fact I I kind of obliterated my enemy um not to brag it's like one hundred percent victory in this point in this case but yeah you know. Not to my own horn here, um, but yeah, I mean, magic is 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 it's it's really important in this edition. Makes you wonder what way they're going to go. Are we are we going to have one episode where I don't speculate about the old world? No, we're not. Is the answer to that? It makes you wonder what way they're going to go with the old world game because in the tiny little snippets they've given us in their press releases and stuff, they've mentioned that they've been. You know, playing through older editions of Warhammer all the way, I think they said from 4th or something, all the way up to 8th edition. They're going to be picking and choosing the bits that they liked for best from it. It does make you wonder on some of these kind of sliding scales of uh, kind of high fantasy to low fantasy sort of mechanics, where they're going to land sort of thing. Again, it would just be speculation, but it'd be interesting to see if it's like high fantasy is what's cool and what's in. It's what's the, what's the thing in Age of Sigmar is the big magic and stuff as well. Let's do it big magic. Or if they go, we've got one system that's like that already. Let's make this system stand out a little bit more and make it less about that. I don't, I don't know what way it will go, quite frankly. No idea. I'm hoping somewhere in between. Yeah. Sixth and eighth is the, is the two editions people rave about. Maybe if they took the best of those two editions, maybe that's the way I mean- to do it. To be fair, at some point, I have no idea where, but they did mention something about taking the best bits from 3rd and 6th and whatever edition uh, yeah. and, and making the best out of that. So perhaps somewhere in the middle would, would be, well, plausible, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And hey, me me not enjoying the kind of magic side of the game was probably an awful lot because I was ill-prepared for it. When I go into my second game and I have a high level spellcaster and maybe I have a second lower level spellcaster with him and I understand there's mechanics a bit better, I'll be better prepared for it. Maybe the problem is that I was trying to play it as a 
I don't know, just, just a rank and flank beat each other up game and I wasn't expecting these. I just wasn't expecting those vortexes to be pulling 10, 20 blokes into oblivion. That was, uh, that was I mean, initiative two is, is you're in a tough spot with that, aren't you? I don't know how you counter that. They're preaching to the choir. I have lizard men. They're cold-blooded. They're like the slowest army, well, maybe next to one or two others. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I by default, I just hit lost. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I figured that as well. Once I knew, um, he's all about hitting last in combat there. I, once I knew I was playing elves, I was like, these, these guys are going to have great weapons because why wouldn't they? I'm going to be hitting you last anyway. I might as well hit you last. I might as well hit you last with a bit of a punch. Those those kind of striking last or lowering initiative sort of weapons. It's only really going to hamper you if you're if you've got high initiative in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'll let I'll let listeners know how I get on with it because it's not going to be my only game of um of Warhammer Fantasy. I'm I'm still mostly playing Warlords of Era One. I'm, we're starting a narrative campaign in my group with that. But in the background, I'm going to be trying to get the odd game of eight fed in mostly so that in a year or two's time when the old world game starts coming out i'm not totally all prepared for it i know it'll be a different edition with different rules and stuff but it means i won't be learning it from zero i'll have a i'll have a starting point and an army as well to kind of hopefully play in that i mean that's us assuming we're getting rules they did say that all your old armies will be usable in this game but well, that's that's assuming they count Chaos Dwarfs as all your exactly, <laughs> exactly that, Michael. Because we weren't we weren't an Eighth Edition army apart from we were a Forge World list. Does that count? Are we only talking about the ones who had army books last edition? Do, do you know what I mean? So it's all up in the air, really, whether or not we even get that. I mean, we know for a fact that actually the community will provide, and in some ways, it would almost be quite exciting if we didn't get rules, and then our community once again rose to the challenge and did really cool community rules for that game. Ideally, it would be the best case scenario to be straight out of the box. Here's a get you by cows to wolf list. Enjoy that. That would be that'd be very very nice. Although we've been so spoilt for choice of our fan lists, haven't we? We'd be hard to impress with a get you by list because we're so used to having so many different weird and wonderful and specific things that probably wouldn't find their way into those lists. Again, speculation about the old world. Every episode, tune in, guys. Right, should we go into somebody else? Um, Jits, what have you been up to, mate? Well, um, I've made a big drama about it on the Discord. Fundamentally, I have done the property deal that I've been banging on about in these segments since the beginning of the podcast. And so my move is upon me. I am speaking to you now live from my empty bedroom. Um, and actually, Oxy is in possession of uh, a short video I WhatsApped him where I demonstrated literally the first thing I moved into my room was big boxes of minis um i haven't got all of them yet but the plan's all coming together boys um i've got a cupboard absolutely stuffed full of all the stuff i bought over summer um and i have a plan to move the big stack of stuff that i think most of you guys know is in bristol along with all my paint um over to london in the next couple of weeks um and then i can start building the hobby space that i'll use in the new year to actually put some uh, paint on some minis which is going to be a lovely feeling um at the same time as that i'm kind of helping uh to shepherd lots of people in the right direction to finish their collections which is a really good feeling um and then i haven't really been doing very much writing lately i think working super super hard um just like all of us really it sounds like 
Um, but I think I'm going to change tack. I'm probably going to take about three weeks off over Christmas, get my hobby space right, and probably make some progress on Among the Wicked Derby as well. Oh, very exciting. Now, Chits, if I remember rightly, um, your missus, who who you've bought a place with, uh, she is kind of vaguely aware of your interest in small toy soldiers, but she's not really (laughs) fully aware of quite what an addict you are. Have you managed to sneak these boxes past her uh, notice or has there been some grand reveal of, hi, you've bought a place for me now. We're in a mortgage together. Good luck getting out of it. Here's all my models. So, you know, initial discussions have been had, right? (laughs) Um, I've I've also mentioned to her how much in vague terms, you know, number of digits um, that I've spent on my hobby since getting back into it in early 2020. Um, which elicited some hair-raising reactions. But no, I... Ridiculous man. I have smuggled all of the minis past her and her dad and brother who've been helping us to move because they live around the corner um, in backpacks and luggage um, and then moving them into the built-in wardrobe that is in the wall in my room because I and my missus have separate rooms. Um, And they're now just kind of stacking high up to the heavens i'll be sure to take some pictures and share them hopefully so they can go on the youtube version of this um so you guys can understand just how high the pile has gotten but it is behind a curtain and so she's dimly aware especially because during the second lockdown in the uk we got a lot of packages and if you guys know much about me you'll know that i buy a lot of ebay lots for cheap and then often flip them or post them and and stuff to people around the world and she got a sense of just how much stuff was kind of coming through but then i was also taking half of it down to the post office to sell on um so you know i think i let her believe that i only bought to sell for a while there which obviously isn't true at all um i sell to fund my habit but those days are over now i bought some skaven and then that's going to be it i'm going to go cold turkey except maybe for the goblins from the underworld's warband um, so there's only about half a dozen things coming to me in the post at the moment. Great stuff. Great stuff, man. Um, it's going to be very interesting, her kind of learning <laughs> what it's like to live with a hobbyist because, uh, it is, it is, I, I think, I think, I think, uh, uh, partners of hobbyists could make a podcast of their own about living with a hobbyist. It, it, it literally would be a thing that people would tune into. I mean, my my wife is actually part of a WhatsApp group, which is the wives and girlfriends of the uh, gaming group that I'm in. Then their, their WhatsApp group is called Warhammer Widows, and they just they just post shit on there about you know, can you believe what he's done today? Look at the mess he's made here. What on earth is he buying that for? <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Nice. I, I have a plan, actually, a podcast-related plan um, with... My other half's name is Jess. Um, with Jess soon-ish. Um, once things have stabilised from the move, I'm going to start to expose her to the hobby. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to go through the Ars Cannon Golden Hat entries together then just get her reactions with her knowing nothing about any of it dimly aware of warhammer she's heard the word she doesn't know anything else about it i feel like 
the arse cannons contest is really going to be the thing to introduce her to the hobby with or be, you know, an appropriate level for a new person, right? Wow. I mean, that is... Like that is going in of a deep end. I mean, there, there are hobbyists that have been this in this hobby for, for 20, 30 years and don't know about arse cannons. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, when, when she kicks you out, mate, like I said, the spare bedroom's yours, right? So don't don't stress about that it. That is shit. very kind of you. Very, very <laughs> kind of you. Oh, lovely. Let's catch up with somebody else. Um, Michael, what have you been up to lately, pal? Well... Not a whole lot of hobby stuff, actually. Um, uh, well, it depends. I haven't touched a model for, mm, I'm ashamed to say, months, actually. Since, uh, well, not excluding the, the, the golden head, of course. Uh, I've done that. Um, I've made uh, the migration tool for the, for the website, for the old forum. Yeah. Which is completed. Um, well, except for maybe some, some cleanup on the forum itself. but. No, it's one hundred percent transferred. Um, Michael, could you maybe explain what that is about to to our listeners who who might not sure. be quite as uh, deep into this as us? Because what Michael's doing is a really, really big, epic sort of uh, project he's been working on for our forum. But yeah, go, go for it, Michael. Explain to listeners, please. In a nutshell, the old forum had about two hundred and eighty thousand posts over about a decade of of time um and it's it it just contains so much information um that it was a shame to let it rot in the old forum on the other hand we want people when they find us to find us on discourse and not in the old forum because it's basically a dead end um so we've been thinking about you know admiral has been doing a lot of work in this manually you know taking the best bits and transferring them to to mega threads but you know, as a software designer, I'm I'm quite lazy naturally. Um, so I was like, I think I can write a piece of software that does this for us. You know, in in a short amount of time. So I basically bucked <laughs> stuff and and Xander especially to get like pretty big sets of permission. I mean, I'm I'm I think I have the highest level of permission next to being the owner of the website of the old form. And the new form by now, um, but that was necessary to get all the data I needed to 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 build this software. Um, and yeah, I, I built one that that started creating posts and topics and categories and stuff like that. Um, and when it was about ten percent done, I made a boo boo and I deleted a very important table in my database. <laughs> so I had to start over, which was well, it sucked. But on the other hand, that also uh, forced me to do some improvements, which made it about four times faster. So instead of uh, 30 days of full-time transfer time, it went down to about seven and eventually took about, I'd say, 10 days with downtime and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything is transferred and, and most of it works. As in, you know, the, the, the threads that link to each other on the old forum, they also link to each other on the new forum, mostly and picture uploading and stuff like that. Uh, there's still some stuff that doesn't work, you know, external hosts that, that just went away. So those pictures are gone, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, most of our listeners that were active on the old forum will have been spammed with 
hundreds, if not thousands of uh, notifications. So they'll be painfully aware that this happened. And the others will probably have seen the ginormous category uh, archive somewhere on the forum. So, I mean, it's hard to have missed this, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. If you're a part of the forum, you definitely, definitely know about this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been it's been a really, really great service you've you've done to uh done for our community there mate because that i don't i'm not exaggerating when i say that that the content in that old forum really is our history it's our legacy and actually an awful lot of what we, we we've often said in this podcast but an awful lot of what the chaos dwarf faction is isn't from official material it's from fan created material it's from our own concepts that have grown um over the years and that that website, the original forum, really is like our kind of it's like our little cultural legacy. It's, it's it's everything that came before us. It's everything that set us on the path that we're on now. And the, and the thought of of that eventually being lost to the to the winds of time is is quite a scary one. And what you've done there is you've you've managed to back it up for at least another kind of generation of forum users, so they can they can see it and they can use it. And I think all of us have been finding some absolute gems like just scrolling through the old material and going, oh, here's a user who I was never aware of, but look what they're sculpting, or here's a user I know really well, but but look what they were painting 10 years ago. That's a really cool idea. And it's it's, it's allowed us to kind of have all that stuff on one platform. It's so, so cool. Um, so if you are a uh, a member of the Chaos Dwarfs online forum, I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend uh, going into the going into the old archive and, and checking out and checking out what's what's on there because there are some real little treats you'll find some 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 real nice little nuggets all right yeah, brilliant absolutely. and um uh, reaver what have you been up to mate well uh <clears throat> in contrast to you i think i've been not touching paintbrushes at all uh haven't it's been almost two months i want to say so that's a bit uh dis- bit disappointing for my battle against the gray which has been uh entirely idle but uh in lieu of that, I've been wielding some some very different pole arms than than paintbrushes, so I've been going at the sculpting tools really hard lately. So uh, for the most part, I've uh, been taking a crack at um, just a whole bunch of different sculpting uh, projects, trying to to learn some techniques, and uh, hopefully, uh, without spoiling too much, try and have some some things that the community will enjoy uh, in the near future. And definitely uh, taking inspiration from the wonderful meme dictionary that Shits has put together. Brilliant, yeah, and this is a this is a project we can't speak too much about uh, just yet. Just suffice to say that I think just about everyone listening to this is going to be interested uh, when it is finally finally revealed. We'll probably have some more teasers before before now and reveal, won't we, guys? I should think so. We've got a tease. People like it. They prefer being teased. If I say I've seen, you know, some of the stuff, it's gonna be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's very very exciting projects on the maybe maybe not quite on the horizon, but 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 maybe just beyond the horizon. It's coming. I mean, without making it even worse for the listeners that are not you know included in this project, the stuff I've seen done by Reaver, it's it's I mean mind blowing to say the least. I have been so impressed and also pretty um, what's the word scared of trying to you know match that level um not well it doesn't mean i won't try but uh yeah it's it's impressive it's really cool no definitely, well, definitely. I, I i think we're going to 
fully put that issue to bed here when we get to talking about some of these entries, Michael. So as I know, you've had one in this uh, in this contest. So we'll uh, we'll put that one to bed in the next couple of hours, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think that's just about as a natural time as as any for us to start talking about the main topic for today's podcast, which of course is Golden Hats. What are we on now? Golden Hat 37, I believe. 37. And this is another thing we can do in the archive now. You can go back and look at all 37 of them leading up to this one. But yeah, this is Golden Hat 37, where we'll be talking about the different entries for this competition. Users um, either painting or converting, sculpting and creating their own um, hobgoblins, hobgrots or other various green snivelling creatures that are lorded over by their, their natural masters for chaos dwarfs. So what we'll do is we'll go through each of these one at a time and we will discuss what we see. Um, if you are a YouTube listener, you will also have the treat of seeing these images up on your screen. Um, and we'll talk about the creator, how they made it, if they've revealed that already, and uh, and some of the merits and some of the cool things about their work. All right. Okay, so the first entry that we have is entry number one, of course. And this is by Besron, who's one of the... Uh, one of the new joiners to our forum has only recently only recently come aboard, but he's already made some real waves with his amazing, amazing blog and his paint jobs. And the entry he has here is is just as impressive as everything else we've already seen from him. We have a hobgoblin hero of some description wielding a sword and standing upon a skull, and he's holding the sword up in a suitably uh, heroic fashion. And um this model is just dripping with old school energy. It's so, so cool. It makes me think of uh, pictures from old Dungeons and Dragons monster manuals and stuff like that. But I'm calling it old school here. This is something that would look just as amazing in, in a newer army, any army on the battlefield, really. Um, it's in bright, vibrant, popping colours and uh, beautiful contrast used there. Um, how do we feel about this entry, boys? When I, when I opened the voting page, and that was the first picture I saw. My first, in, my my first thought in my mind was, well, I'm not gonna say the word what, which I actually thought, but I was like, mm, that's gonna be a tough one. That's that's my well. As I said, I'm not literally saying what I think, but what I thought. But that was, yeah, I was really impressed. I, I like the color. I like the use of different kind of colors, and and the shading is beautiful. It's a beautiful model. I didn't know it. Um, I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah, not a uh, model I'm familiar with either, but uh, it's it's always fun to see something completely unexpected in the in the golden hat. And I think we're we're seeing that as new users come in. Uh, you know, model sourcing is is growing from already pretty unprecedentedly high levels for an, for a singular army. So we pull models from everywhere, and the more users we're bringing in, we're just seeing more and more of this. And and this model and his uh, you know his his army is is a, a good attestation to that. I think for me, it's a real because you know the focus of of um, this golden hat was really specifically on painting quality, wasn't it? Right, and yeah, we're looking at here is people will have done sculpts and conversions, but fundamentally, what we were voting on is who's done the most amazing paint job. And I got to agree with what Michael says, where it's like, what a first entry for everyone to be looking at because what he's done for me is he's taken. No, this is this is a hobgoblin as you would conceive of it from the old army book, right? 
this has got the color palette of a classic hobgoblin you know reds browns obviously the green of the skin and yet despite the fact that it's a relatively conservative palette it's so colorful and i think that's really important because it just goes to show that you don't have to go out on a limb or do something extreme in order to make something look really vivid the way that the red runs through the piece completely ties it all together and makes it really vibrant um and then also yeah i think the shading and the highlights on that skin are really the things that that make it so arresting when you look at it for the first time also you've got to give credit to the mouth right that is a very vivid tongue and teeth combo um that is a piece of effort that plenty of people you know just wouldn't push themselves to go to that level and he's done exactly that you're talking about the mouth have you seen the eyes yeah yeah it's all very impressive yeah, he's, he's captured every single detail on that model. It's, it's a beautiful sculpt. So you know, to start off with, it's already a beautiful model, but he's making it absolutely sing, isn't he? And he snagged third place, uh, third place with this model, didn't he? And I think it's easy to see why. I think everybody who, who opened up the voting thread was confronted with this straight away and thought, yeah, this is a contender. This straight away is, 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 a, is a model that has, has caught my attention uh, uh, as, as a lover of miniatures and as a voter here so absolutely outstanding effort i'd love to see him now flanked by some some compatriots painted in a similar style now that would be fun that'd be very impressive to see a war band of these yeah yeah Great I, stuff. I think he's done a really good job with the overall tone of the miniature as well uh you know he's taken something you know we we note green skin on lots of uh lots of entries and and he's done something in a very uh you know red palette and and i think he's really achieved that um and, and even with the skin tone uh tying that all in really nicely and keeping kind of the whole hue of the model to be really cohesive thing that works well yeah works beautifully great stuff best from well done we're seriously seriously impressed with this entry and uh yeah thanks for joining the forum mate because uh it's, yeah, it's it's a real, real positive addition to the to the ongoing conversation, and to the the kind of constantly evolving canon of of the art we create here. So yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Well, and if we're doing thank yous, uh, also thank you for letting us using your pictures in the zine we already released. So doing a segue there, some self promotion and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because. Uh, Everyone who's who's entered uh, the the competitions will know that first, second, and third place uh, they don't just get featured on this podcast. First, second, and third place also get featured in our in our zine. We do a, a nice one or two page spread where we we show off the the images of first, second, and third place in these competitions. So yeah, it's a, it's a big thank you for for allowing us to use your art to promote the website there as well. Um, Moving on to entry number two. Okay, entry number two was by Eddie, wasn't it? By Ladriel. So um, what we have here is we have a, a diorama. And this diorama is a kind of swampy, muddy sort of uh, scene with a crooked tree growing out of it, kind of swampy, uh, mossy stuff hanging off the tree. Um, in the middle of this diorama is a lone Stormcast Eternal from Age of Sigmar. He's painted in yellow and black, sort of gritty uh, colours. 
and he is surrounded by five uh, Hobgrots from the Dominion box set. And they're attacking him at all angles. One's trying to stab at him. Another's trying to stab him in the back. One's throwing a grenade at him. And it's like they're, it's like he's having like a last stand. He's probably going to take a couple of them down, but they're going to get him and they're going to kill him eventually. And the Hobgoblins are painted in a very unconventional colour. They haven't got green skin. They've got more of a kind of reddish-orange skin. And the whole thing is rendered in a very sort of grim, dark sort of style. Um, I am so impressed by this. It, to me, puts me in mind of uh, going through uh, Golden Demon uh, pullouts in magazines and stuff when I was a kid, the kind of things you'd see placing in those competitions back in the day when they'd have like uh, battle dioramas and stuff like that. I think this is a, a masterful piece of work. But I'll stop waffling because I'm sure you guys have some stuff to say about this as well. Okay, I have to be honest. Sorry, Eddie. Um, at very first glance, it, it didn't work for me. It didn't do anything. I, I was like, "Yeah, it's nice," but um, it it just didn't register. Let's put it that way: it didn't register how cool it is. Um, but and you know, I like big butts. This was a really when I took a second look at it, and I saw all these little details, and I blew it up for this. I, I made the picture quite a bit larger. There's so much going on, and there's so much work and effort put into this. Um, and then I'm not even talking about the paint shop, which eventually sold it to me. Um, yeah, the, the, the grimdark effect on this is, is just outstanding. And, well, credits do what credits do. I, I do really like this, and it's, it's, um, it's a very deserved win. Let's put it this way. I really like it. Yeah, because we didn't mention, of course, that Eddie got first place for this, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It was a deserved win. Yeah, I think in line with that, when when I when I looked at this, it didn't it didn't initially scream uh, Eddie to me. So just uh, having talked with him and and all of that, and you know, been in the Discord with him for quite a while now, uh, seeing a Stormcast and and a bunch of Age of Sigmar models in a diorama. Uh, I didn't leap to that, but then you know, upon visiting this on a more than a phone screen, kind of took a peek, and uh, it's it's got some really signature quality that Eddie's been pumping out um, in his miniatures, and he has used this uh, scheme before or, or shown this scheme before for Stormcast. So uh, once you kind of dig into the details of this, it really, really just exudes the character that he puts into into his painting. And if I'm not mistaken, he uses a, a lot of um, a lot of pinks and it's an interesting choice and I, and I think uh, as a base tone he he really exercises it in a way that uh i don't think i would even attempt yeah and you say digging deeper into his archive seeing that stormcast color scheme before um i remember now and i'm only just remembering this he painted some uh blood bowl orcs quite recently and the orcs used a very similar skin tone to these uh, to these hobgrots as well. So if I was being a little bit cleverer than what I was, I probably would have worked out this was Eddie's actually. What Eddie's done with this is he's taken Age of Sigmar poses and shapes that GW has pushed onto us in buying these miniatures. And he's put them in a space in a way that, you know, if anyone's seen any of his other dioramas, you'll see Eddie loves motion, right? He loves movement. And what he's done is he's made the poses that GW have given us look natural. 
And I think that's pretty special, especially because he's doing it on a forum where people have very strong tastes about Hobgoblins. They have very strong 90s leaning preferences. And he's taken that leap of doing non-green skinned Hobgoblins, one of the only entries in the Golden Hat to do that. And he's absolutely smashed it and taken it straight to number one. Um, and I think you've got to recognize that as an achievement, but it's also an extension of the work that he's been sharing with us over the past several years. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that, especially the using the models as as they've came out of the box for the most part. There, He might have done some conversions, but if he has, I haven't quite picked up on what they are. But It would be rejointing of arms at the very most. Yeah, because I, I suppose a criticism that is often leveled at Modern Day Games Workshop is that Everything is so dynamic that it kind of looks a little bit strange when you put them next to each other when they're walking around the battlefield. They're almost like these little mini dioramas, every model. And that is to some people's taste. And it's not to other people's taste, especially a lot of people that are more into rank and flank gaming have to try to make these models look like they're a unified marching sort of army. But he is lent into the strengths of the models here. You know, if I was to take a bunch of 1990s models straight out of the box and put them in this scene, there would not be that sense of motion. It wouldn't look like a swirling battle. It would look like five guys standing around. So he's he's used the strengths of the modern sculpts very, very well there, I think. I mean, Eddie, you should really upload this to the Games Workshop website. To the, the paper yeah. stuff. Yeah, this is probably one of the only things that's ever come through a golden hat that might actually get play from them anyone who's yeah. heard Eddie talking about age of sigma will be surprised that he's gone so full-on for the gw approved version here as well but frankly he's achieved something really special with it so good for us no no he has he has it's come out really really well there so um well done eddie well actually he's he's literally next to me taking taking a shit in my shed so i can tell him face to face well done eddie good boy <laughs> Okay, um, if you didn't get that, listeners, look at the CDO uh, meme dictionary, and you soon, soon will. Let's head on to uh, entry number three. Okay, entry number three. I don't think I need to look up who did this one. I think I recognise the colour scheme straight away. This is Iron Hayden, isn't it, boys? It is indeed. Yeah, so Iron Hayden was always always going to shine in this competition because he is an absolute lover of hobgoblins his army is uh mostly made up of classic 1990s hobgoblins uh and as we can see today with some some fabelzel bits kind of put in the mix as well um and it's with his um he's what is now like a very trademark purple color scheme for him and what he has entered is he has entered some big big animals okay some really really impressive furry things on screen right now we've got uh so we've got four mammoths and we've got uh is it a stone horn something or the other the giant uh ogre monster what's it called guys is it a stone horn no clue everyone is well jared and i are busily googling it hold on it is indeed oh, a stone yeah. horn yeah, Stonehorn. Stonehorn or a Thunder Tusk if you assemble it the other way, apparently. Yeah, I think so. And and, and seeing these, these uh these giant, giant war beasts uh painted beautifully in this kind of white fur with these brightly coloured uh purple hobgoblins riding upon them. Seeing these um 
is bringing me right back to a podcast episode we did with uh, an interview with Tyranno, where he was talking about the Ninth Age Hobgoblin list. Now, I believe Hayden plays Ninth Age, actually, and it's making a lot of sense to me because he was talking about how the Hobgoblin army in that system is based around heavy cavalry and it has giant war beasts, um, almost like ancient kind of elephants and stuff, as, as, a, large, as a large part of that. Um, so I'm imagining that these have been built with that in mind but yeah, anything to say about these uh, thundering massive trembling beasts here I think I'd say two things straight off the mark, the first is you do always know a Hayden entry Um, his love of purple is, is really, really well known and pronounced but I think it's so fantastic it's almost as if the Fabelzell um hobgoblins were like made for him right because if you think about the effect it's had on his hobby because um hayden's based uh way out on the other side of the world um and you know getting vintage minis from the 90s out there is difficult and and i can tell you but he has got a whole new lease of life to start using these guys in positions and situations like these elephants howders that we'd not seen before but then also you know it's we often recognize his entries but you have to say he has done an absolutely smashing job on the beasts themselves in this entry and he's demonstrated like a growth and a skill in his painting talent that i think um he's taken it to new heights and the places to look on this entry are the horns of the thunder tusk which have this incredible organic bony look. And then also the fur of the war elephants, which also has just this kind of depth that I think is something that he's really demonstrated his progress as a painter from contest to contest. Um, and, you know, he was always going to do a bang up job when we came to his town and did something about hobgoblins. But I think it's really great to see Fabelzell sculpts being used in such an interesting way and really great to see his evolution as a painter as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. This uh, Hayden and Fabozel is like a match made in heaven, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and for those who don't know, we're talking about Fabozel here. Um, Fabozel is a 3D sculptor who is creating um, some really, really beautiful um, hobgoblin and evil dwarf miniatures. Uh, and for those who are interested in kind of like historically inspired models, you know, uh, models that look Mesopotamian perhaps or... or or, you know, models that are inspired by, you know, um, ancient Scythians as well. Um, it's well worth checking him out. He's got some stuff on Thingiverse and uh, and you can see his stuff there. Also, if you're interested, there's an interview of him in the first issue of our zine as well, which can be found on the forum. But yeah, I think it's a match made in heaven because the, the models just lend themselves beautifully to the models that are already in Hayden's collection. And also, I do think that with modern 3D printed models that don't cost you an awful lot to make, or even if you are purchasing them as somebody printing and someone's printing them for you, they don't cost as much as what a classic model with. You can take more risks and you can use them in conversions in ways that you might potentially hesitate to use a classic model in a conversion. So I don't think Hayden's done it here in particular. I don't think he's chopped lots of bits off of these goblins, but he's put them in places where... Oh, if I had some 1990s metal here, I might not want to stick that on top of the elephant. I might want to stick that in a unit because I need them to make up the unit. But I'm quite happy to stick them on the elephant here. Or in future projects, you know, if I'm going to be cutting a hand off of something, I'm quite happy to cut a hand off of something that was 3D printed this morning 
probably very hesitant to cut a hand off of something that was was made 30 years ago and can't be bought anymore. Yeah, it's it's got to be. And I'd love to hear him tell us about it. Um, and and we should ask him, but it's got to be good news if you're a fan of that look um, to have a sculptor like Fabelzor come into the digital space and make it not just giving the concept a new lease of life when it's been ignored for so long, but also digital distribution, meaning that as a hobbyist way out on the other side of the world, you're not suddenly stuck behind a massive paywall just to finish your collection, which is a great feeling, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you are right as well. Hayden could be a great person to talk to at some point. I'd love to hear about how he got into this army and uh, his hobby journey. I know you speak to him quite a bit, Chit, so you've probably got a bit of an idea about that already. But it'd be yeah, very cool. Actually, ironically enough, he's back on the Chaos Dwarfs, but that's a story for another day. Yes, I did see him post something about that recently, actually, a Chaos Dwarf model. Yeah. Has anyone else got something they'd like to say about the, uh, the Hobgoblins here? Sure, yeah. I think a, a couple of things that uh, stood out to me that I enjoyed. Um, obviously, I, I I feel like I always take good inspiration from his entries. And yeah, definitely if the if I ever get around to uh, a dedicated army of hobgoblins, it's it's just going to be time spent on his blog. Um, but uh, he's he's included the uh, chain between the tusks, uh, inspired by the uh, MVP of the Pelennor Fields battle. And uh, I absolutely love that added touch there to make one of them a little different. Uh, um, and then uh, there's also like a, a tiny little goblin on a base. I have no idea if it's intentional or not, but there's like a little bug-eyed goblin on the top right picture. And uh, I don't know, for some reason it adds something for me. I like that he's there looking very stunned and uh, at this herd of mammoths going cruising by. But uh, <laughs> yeah, th- those two little details, love it. Um, and then also just um, the... The howda and the the flaming axe uh, banner. Just there's just so many cool details, including the little uh, heads on spikes on the two main banners in the center there. So just so many cool things to look at. Um, really, just a lot to digest here. But those are the those are the main things that stuck out to me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, is there anything else to say about this one, Michael? Have you have you sort of spoke about this one yet, mate? Sorry, I'm losing a bit of track. No, it doesn't matter. Um... Well, there's two things that stand out to me. One is how well the 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 modern Age of Sigmar beasts mix with the with the with the goblins. He's done a terrific job of just making it look like it's just a kit you can buy instead of something he made. Um, which, considering the age difference between the models on top and the, and, and the monsters, is incredible. Um, and the other thing that's thrown me off a bit is it's it's for me it's really hard to like imagine the scale of these things um i know that they're pretty big um but for some reason i i i I can't see the scale in front of me if you know what i mean they 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 seem pretty big but then again also for some reason my eyes trick me and uh, try to convince me they're on regular cavalry basis which doesn't make sense at all but yeah, they can't. They're not on. They're not on regular uh, cavalry bases. I suppose ninth age players would probably know what they're on. But is that more of a? Is that more of a chariot base? I'm not sure. At the very least, I mean, yeah. I, I, before I made this comment, I looked up the actual model and the base it's on, and it's one of those. Um, I guess 130 millimeters uh, rounds. Or yeah, big or oval or a big round. I mean, there's a, there's an ogre on top. Ogres are big, so. Going from that, I'd say 130 millimeters or something. 
Yeah, I, I play I play one of these regularly um, in in my Erewhon campaigns because a friend of mine runs uh, Chaos Barbarians and he uses it as his counts as uh, Mammoth, and it is a large model. It definitely is a large model. It's it's got an imposing sort of size on the battlefield. I, yeah. I think the point I'm trying to make is for for such a huge model, you know, because I know it's a big model. It blends in so well with all the rest, especially the goblins and the howdah on top. I, I'm just blown away with how well it just looks naturally. It, it looks like it's a kit made by Games Workshop, in my eyes. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's really, really cool. All right, let's move on to the next one here. So, next up, we have this will be Zanko's, won't it? We have uh, Zanko's entry. Now, Zanko's entry is a piece of Chaos Dwarf artillery. Um, it is uh, a really gorgeous old-school sculpt. Um, in a similar vein to the kind of bolt throwery thing we saw from him quite recently, this is like a giant catapult, and uh, the, the arm of the catapult actually looks like a great big demonic hand, and are all kind of like a twisted goblinoid sort of faces um all over all over this war machine and when i first saw this uh this entry i had to do a bit of a double take on it because i thought oh i thought this is a hobgoblin uh competition and i'm seeing some chaos dwarfs i'm seeing a uh a catapult here i was thinking where are uh where are the hobgoblins and then began the kind of uh the game of in England, we call it Where's Wally, but I know in uh, other parts of the world, it's called Where's Waldo. They kind of like find that character in the crowd sort of moment. And if you look, you'll find the greenskins. Maybe somebody else wants to talk a little bit more about what, what we see here. When I saw this, I mean, you know, he doesn't have to sign his name for all of us to know this was Zanko. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just, it screams Zanko's painting style. Um, and also the, the enormous basis. Uh, he uses as a mini diorama. Um, you know, mo most of you know my army, and it's all uh, Lost Kingdom and, and modern sculpts, 3D sculpts. Um, I have pretty much zero official Chaos Dwarfs or even old Chaos Dwarfs. Um, but this model, and to be honest, quite a few of Zanko's uh, entries, and also the blog uh, I followed quite a bit, they do really pique my interest for the older models. And why they do that is his painting of these models, you know, it's, it's just, it catches the eye. It's really cool. Like, for example, in the first picture, the, the Chaos Dwarf, I know this is a goblin competition, but the Chaos Dwarf with the blue armor, it's just exquisitely painted. I really, it's a really eye catcher. Um, and just like you, uh, um, Oxy, it did take me a while to find them because they're, pretty camouflaged, camouflaged little buggers. Um, but they're there. And, and when I found them, it made it, made it even better because, you know, it, it, it seems fitting for them to be like, you know, barely dressed and groveling with filth and, and dirt. Yeah. So it, 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 it made me chuckle a bit. Really well done. Oh, and one more, one more thing. I really like the, 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 the face on the weight uh, of the catapult thing. Um, it's 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 a nice touch because he also painted it in three colors and it looks really um, well. I couldn't replicate it, and that's what I like about it. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but the rock that one of the hobgoblins is pulling towards the hand of the catapult is also a giant face. I think it might be. Let's have a look. If you look... Oh yeah, it certainly is. Yep. Oh, I yeah. see it. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't yeah. clocked that before. Yeah. But see, that's the that's the beautiful thing about this piece, right? Is that it is one where the more time you spend looking at all of the different aspects, you find something new, whatever you choose to look at. And I think that's a testament to you know diorama working in general, but then also just the sheer intense flavor of this old school style is that there's always something to look at and something that's strange or that you don't think you've seen before. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and the the, the spider, I, another thing that blends in, I, I love little familiars kind of things on bases, as you all know, but uh, that just the little spider there adds some character, something that you might not spot like immediately. But yeah, again, you got to zoom in on this stuff and, and really take a look. Uh, I, I too was kind of uh, missing the green skin aspect of it. And then taking a closer look, uh, it, even you know notwithstanding the the uh hobgrots or hobgoblins on the base uh just the uh kind of the very orky looking most of them uh kind of demonic faces and i was like that'd be an interesting uh interpretation of uh of a competition if you didn't even want to have any goblins whatsoever because having a bunch of flayed faces uh on a on a war machine is uh, certainly a passable use and yeah, I, I mean, I think he's done a, a lovely job of painting those as well and bringing in tons of color, as he always does. Yeah, his color is always extremely striking. I am, um, I'm a, I'm a very lucky owner of a of a Zanko original. Actually, um, he very kindly in the previous emissary exchange uh, sent me a great big wing winged uh, dragon with a chaos dwarf riding atop it, and the base was like a small castle turret, but it was kind of perched upon. And the blue armor you can see um, on the front cast dwarf there, the dragon is rendered in a similar sort of hue of blue. And it's one of the most striking models in my collection. It really stands out because it's so different to the style of painting that I tend to use. But I love it for that reason because it does. It feels like a Zanka original. It's a very cool thing to own. Worth noting, uh, was that the Emissary or was that the Secret Santa Exchange? It was actually before that. So, oh, um, okay. I'd had a uh, I'd I'd had a golden hat competition win or an artisan's win. I can't remember what it was, but whatever had happened, I'd uh, I'd won a competition and I, I'd I'd won two in a row, and I felt like um, a bit of an ass taking the uh, the top spot twice because. Just thought I can't. Everyone should kind of get a little bit here, and I and I, I reached out to Zanko and I said like. Uh, Dude, I, I loved your because he he he'd done an amazing piece in that competition. I said, dude, I absolutely loved your work. I actually, I actually voted for you and I wanted you you to to win this sort of thing. I think your work was you know better than mine. Um, do you want my my top spot prize? Because uh, I took the last top spot prize. I don't really have much of a need for this one. Do you want it sort of thing? And he he declined and but he said, uh, thank you very much. That's very cool. But I tell you what, we can do then instead is we can do an emissary exchange just between the two of us. And this was um, early days on the new forum, and we hadn't done any emissary exchanging at all. And he said, he kind of introduced me to the concept of emissary exchanging. He said, back in the old forum, every now and then we'd do these emissary exchanges where people would swap models across the world and all that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, let's let's go for it. Let's, let's do it. And um, I converted up a winged... Uh, 
Chaos Dwarf Warrior, and um, I tried my best to paint it in his sort of style so it would fit in his army. If you go into his blog, actually, he has a he has a whole unit of misfits, so they're all random emissaries and stuff that kind of people have sent him over the years. And the dude with the big bat wings at the back that that's my contribution to that unit. And and, and anyone who knows anything about Zanko will be able to tell you um, he is an extremely kind and giving individual. Um, he's he's displayed that that nature on a forum many many times. I sent him this little poxy Chaos Dwarf Warrior. He sent me a bloody dragon. After I was trying to reach out to him saying, hey, I love your work. Can I send you something? <laughs> he ended up sending me this absolutely beautiful beast of a creature. And I was uh, I was blown away, absolutely blown away by it. It's a very, very cool model. If uh, if anyone's interested in it, they can find it on my original Chaos Dwarf blog, the uh, Oxymandas the Mad blog. It's, it's, it's listed on there. But that, Ben, was what launched the conversation about, um, hey, we just did an exchange. That was good fun. Maybe we should do uh, relaunch the idea of emissary exchanges and the kind of um, the secret uh, Xanta was sort of born from that. And then later on, Michael picked up a torch and did a proper emissary exchanges. So we've kind of got two exchange programs that go on at the moment. We've got the uh, one package that goes all the way around the world with the uh, with the great emissary exchange, and we've also got the secret Xanta where people kind of uh, swap miniatures. A uh, bit more local that one. When I say local, I mean local to your continent, sort of local. <laughs> Sorry, Reeve, you asked me a question there and I ended up telling you my life story. Yeah, no, that, that pretty much answers the question. I just wanted to kind of highlight that we do kind of the, these emissary exchanges relatively frequently. And, and I think, Michael, we're, we're really hoping that the one that's going around right now will uh, we'll be closing up and we got some cool ideas for uh, either painting or sculpting uh, emissary exchanges to uh, to kind of happen in the near future. So keep on keep it, that on the horizon for probably next year. Well, my initial um, best goal was to get it back by the time, uh, by the same time, but a year later when I started, which was uh, March, which was also the release of the very first zine. Um, so, you know, we still have a few more months to go before I'll start getting really impatient. Um, and the secret Santa stuff will, will really help with uh, quenching my thirst for uh, some emissary exchanges. But yeah, I hope it does. Uh, there's three more people to go, I believe, or two. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be back. I'm sure it'll be back in good time. It might it might take a little bit longer than we originally thought it might, but it will come back. And uh, it's just such a cool thing that we do on the forum. The the exchanges. It's another one of those things that's kind of like one of our sort of trademark little initiatives, little community things that we do that often I think sets us apart from a lot of these other forums. A lot of these other forums are, uh, well, either dead and gone or are just that, just forums where people log on, chat about miniatures or hobby and, and log off. But, you know, we, we tend to do a lot more kind of outreachy stuff where we actually interact with one another on a, on a different level. I mean, this this podcast is part of that. The zine's part of that, and I think the exchanges is a part of that as well. It's a very cool thing that we offer at CDO. It's one of our little trademarks. I like it. And I think just to just to zoom back into Zanko for a second, right? The four of us sitting around talking about this kind of stuff, we're really walking in the footsteps of the Zankos of the world, who passed down as a form of oral tradition things like exactly what you're describing, right? Because the concept of reviving emissary exchanges or whatever, it all comes in the shadow of what went before. 
and what went before is now freely available for everyone to see um, in the wonderful world of the archive section that Michael's created. And I think yeah. it's just really nice how all these things are coming full circle. Yeah, absolutely. If it hadn't have been for somebody like Zanko, who I believe has been with the website since I think 2007, if not just after, he's been with the website a very, very long time. Um, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have known anything about emissary exchanges, but that's not a situation anyone would find themselves in now because of the, because of the nature of the uh, the the archive we now have, all of that is now freely available knowledge to, to everyone, and we will uh, preserve that legacy going forward, definitely. And we've banged on a lot about Zanko and his work here because we're all we think he's a lovely bloke, and we're all big fans of his uh, big fans of his work and that as well as an artist. But uh, well worth checking out the first issue of our zine because not only will you find that Favazel interview that we were talking about earlier. But you will also find an interview with Zanko, one of our veteran members, and he kind of uh, talks an awful lot about how he first got into the hobby, how he first got into Chaos Dwarfs, and how he first got into Chaos Dwarfs Online. And he also reveals a bit of information about how he has, uh, and get this, this is after he gave away all of his hobgoblins to somebody who had lost their collection. Because as we said, nice guy. Even after that, he has um, over 10,000 points of Chaos Dwarfs painted. But we can attest to the fact that's growing every day as well. Very, very interesting interview of an interesting guy there. Anyway, we should probably, probably move on. Okay, and so we have entry number five. And entry number five was, yeah, it was Freak Show. Uh, what we have here, we have a really, really cool conversion. We have the uh, Bob Grotz from the Dominion release. Uh, that have been converted into Hobgoblin Wolf Riders. Now, these Hobgoblin Wolf Riders are riding on very dynamically posed wolves. I can't quite tell if these are wargs from The Lord of the Rings, or they may well actually be, as I'm looking a bit closer, Fenrisian wolves from, um, from uh, 40k Space Wolves range. Those two sets of models are very similar to each other, the Hobbit wargs and the uh, Fenrisian wolves, so it's quite hard to tell. But what he's done with these riders is he's not just stuck them on as is. He's done some really heavy converting on them to make them look a little bit more like the uh, hobgoblins we know from the 1990s with the kind of long skirts of scale mail um, on, on, their, on their bodies. And he's also uh, given the addition of, um, of some very, very interesting pole arms and, uh, and shields and stuff as well. So... Who wants to uh, talk a little bit about what we see here? I think what, what makes this so cool is that just like Eddie, he really used the, the motion of the models uh, in positioning them on, on the, on the, the uh, what's their name, the walks or whatever, on the, the, the beasts. Uh, it, it seems like they're actually riding into battle. Um, yeah. And the, the conversion is, is the, the, the sculpted bits are. are well, they're cool. They're really fitting. Um, the only thing I, I noticed at first was it made me chuckle a bit is the uh, you have the big picture on top and the right, the, the completely right model. Um, for some reason, his legs look like really short, stumpy. Yeah. I mean, they all do have that, but on that model, it's just yeah, that, that one is particularly noticeable the wide stance. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I do really like these. They they would actually fit really well in my army. So GW makes four different types of Lord of the Rings wargs. 
These wargs, warg fans, are from the Hunter Orcs on Fell Wargs TM um, product. Don't forget, don't forget the trademark, Chits. Very important. Yeah, it's super important for the Hobbit Unexpected Journey strategy battle game. Um, so this is <laughs> this is GW's fourth attempt at wargs. Um, they don't have the big, hideous eye bags that the, some of the other ones do. So they've been played pretty much straight. There's not really a huge amount of, of conversion on those. But then I think the thing that is really interesting is that he's made a decision not to use the legs that are posed into those um, that are on the hunter orcs that are involved. And instead, he's got the stumpy legs of the modern hobgrot. However, despite, you know... The, the challenges that that presents for a modeling perspective, in reality, these guys look great. And they look great because of the scale mail he's modeled on. I think it's a pretty common opinion on CDO that they would have looked a hell of a lot better if they weren't nudists. Um, and this, this shows how good those armor plates look when backed up by something slightly more credible. But then also... He's taken advantage of some of the really great dynamic poses. He's got, look at that union, that unit champion in the middle. I think he looks fantastic. The horn yeah. way more impressive on warg back than he does on foot. I think it's really, really great what he's done with these hobgrots. Yeah, yeah, I've got to agree. The 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 hero, as you say, the champ is is I think the standout one. The way the wolf is leaping forward and his body is turning with that sword is great. And the, the tiniest, tiniest thing about the hornblower that I think improves that model slightly, he's just tilted back a bit further. He's not blasting the horn sort of forward, he's blasting it properly into the air, uh like leaning his head back and stuff. It's very dynamic. Yeah, I think the the musician's my favorite one. I when I first looked at the you know the top center image, uh, I I read the uh, the champion as a wolf centaur, and I got a little like oh somebody's been, <laughs> somebody's really been in the Discord channel, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really happy that that isn't the case. You know, upon a little bit further inspection, because I think he's just done a, a wonderful job of making uh, an awesome unit here that totally thematic. Yeah, like you said, the scale mail really, really makes these, uh, really sells them. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's not going to be the last time we, we see someone put clothes on these Hobgot sculpts. But Let's my God, GW could have done that for us. They look <laughs> so much better. Pretty much everyone, sorry, I'm waxing lyrical here, but pretty much everyone who made the decision um, that Freak Show has made here did a good job of it and the miniatures look better and his is just the first of many examples we're going to see today yeah yeah i uh the hobgoblins that i've converted are nudists i've kept them that way but that was mostly because <laughs> i was doing hundreds of them <laughs> uh this is because I'm lazy. This is a, an amazing amount of work that's kind of gone into old schoolifying these guys. And I think it does raise that point that you make there, Chits. Um, whether you like the old hobgoblins or not, whether you prefer the new ones or not, this proves that Games Workshop could have done the old style hobgoblins and made them look very modern and very cool. All right, let's move on to the next one. Brings us to a mini by a little little-known creator called Michael X. Okay, yes. So from the uh, from the creative mind that, that brought you 
a uh, kind of gaping, distended, demonic asshole, we now have uh, his latest gruesome uh, creation. <laughs> so we have Michael X's uh, entry into the Golden Hat. Now, what we have here is a really, really cool, um, a really, really cool conversion piece. I mean, an awful lot of this is is uh, is originally sculpted as well. We have a hobgoblin spread out on something that is like the cross between an altar of hashets and a kind of mortician's or operating table of some description. Um, he's stone dead and he's having his innards uh, pulled out uh, and kind of examined um, by some kind of uh, some kind of demon smith sort of character. Now I say that the hobgoblin's stone dead. I'm going to imagine he probably wasn't stone dead when his process began, because it looks like he's actually been shackled to this altar with some big metal manacles as well. And it's cool. It really puts me in mind of a lot of the those ancient pagan religions where um, where priests would uh, check the entrails of a creature to see if they could divine the future or cast some kind of magic. And it, br it brings that to mind for me. Um, Michael, you're, you're the creator, mate. Talk, talk us through what, what, what you created here. Um, well, <laughs> what actually happened was the announcement was made that uh, Hobgrots were the next thing. Um, and for some reason, my mind immediately went to heresy. I think you pronounce it which is reading the future in intestines of, you know, animals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I, it got me thinking like, okay, maybe, you know, some kind of general. So I started to work in my fluff into it. You know, maybe my general heard about these new kind of hub rods and he wanted to know what, you know, makes them so special. Um, so he ordered his, one of his demon smiths to go capture one and do whatever they do with it. Uh, so that's that's how the, the 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 idea got started. So then I got started to source some bits and stuff like that. Um, obviously, I had to incorporate a, a walrus in there. Um, I mean, there was no other way. Um, and because I didn't have any hobgrots, I started sculpting one. So the the the, the altar is printed, but then the the the, the body of the hobgrot is well, it's mostly sculpted, um, except for the head, which is. Well, it's it's a copy with the blue stuff uh, mold, but because I oversized the the body somewhat, um, the head looked like it looked like a shrunken head. So in the end, <laughs> instead of making like a complete new head, I decided to just cut it in two and then, you know, fill in a gap of about a millimeter. So it's the same height but just a millimeter fatter, and it worked pretty well actually. Um, and I threw on some of the armor plates, which are also blue stuff because I was too cheap to actually use bits. I wanted to make those into actual hub rods. Um, so yeah, I threw them in there to you know drive the point home that that it's a new hub rod and that not some general or generic hobgoblin. Um, yeah, well, there's that. Actually, not much more to say than that. I think. Can I ask you if that metaphor was kind of? A knowing wink to the the resurrection of Hobgrots, um, that you thought that the best thing you could do with them is have one being ripped apart. Absolutely. <laughs> oh. You know, I saw the rants that uh, some people had on the forum about hating these, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it would be absolutely funny to just you know brutally slaughter one, just <laughs> drive a oh. 
So, yeah. Love it. Yeah, because people gotta... have had a passionate response to that, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. For me, you know, when you step back for a second, this is a painting competition. And I think your painting is always really arresting and vivid in the way that you use colour, right? Like the last conversation we had, Michael, about your ask canon about the blue and about the choices that you had going into this with this one you know you've got this incredibly vivid and intense middle to the picture and it is very evocative and very positive and you've also got a part of the chaos dwarf experience that i particularly personally enjoy um as people will know from my writing you know grim rituals and horrible normal stuff where they're not on the battlefield is is almost the most fun but i just wanted to say I know that it's a skill that many people on the, on the forum have taken to quite a high level, but I thought the flames that you have in the braziers around the edge are a really nice touch, both in terms of how they add some flavor to the whole of the kind of piece, and then also how they make it more interesting in those areas that are not that central focal point. And I just think that you've also raised painting flames up to quite a high level on those pieces. and. That's a skill that, you know, I someday hope to have, but you've demonstrated real mastery over in this piece. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and the cool. the little, uh, I, I'm imagining it's screen stuff added, but the tiny little flame coming out of the, uh, the lamp also, um, a nice little touch that adds more of that kind of same painting and ties it into the centerpiece as well. Indeed. I, I, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going, going to be senseless to have like two braziers and then not light the lamp so i mean he has to see what he's doing right yeah absolutely um quick question michael uh does this have is this is this a diorama or does this have use in in battles like an altar of hash or something like that or is it just something as a, a diorama piece i wanted to make it as a a, a unit filler um but when designing this, you know, I quickly ran out of space on a, a normal unit filler size, you know, 40 by 40 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so in the end, I just went with whatever worked the best for what I had in mind, um, which is, I think the base is either 80 by 80 or 100 by 100 millimeters. Um, and if I ever have a unit that's big enough to chuck it in, I will absolutely use it. Um, but yeah, it's probably not going to be practical. It's most likely going to be rule of cool instead of, okay, I need, uh, uh, how many models are that? 16 or something? Yeah, 16. No, more. I don't uh, know with unit fit. I think, yeah, there, there are different opinions about uh, who, yeah, yeah, about how many you can have and what amount of models you'd need for it to be right but yeah in terms of your footprint it would take up of, of 20 millimeter models it would take up a lot wouldn't it yeah. yeah 25 but i mean it's it's you know i just liked it and it's going in a, in a display cabinet and if i ever get a chance to use it i'll most definitely use it the same goes for my ass cannon by the way i mean it's a bit more easy because it's a war machine and it doesn't really have a um you know base sizes don't really matter that much um but yeah, it's it's most definitely going to be used if I get nice. a chance. Well, I think another place where this model would shine as well would be a narrative scenario game. You know, 
good guys are turning up and they've got to try and stop the bad guys magic ritual from being completed you know that that sort of vibe that's that's like a, a nice little thing you could have this guy somewhere set up and yeah they've got to try and disrupt this thing from happening i think you could do something like that that's a good shout yeah all right okay. nice one yeah michael i have one question one comment i uh obviously you know when we had started the green stuff role maker thread uh you had teased a couple of uh things that you couldn't add so uh here we're seeing one of them used to ridiculously good effect um just absolutely evocative intestines um wouldn't have expected anything less uh seeing you know the ass cannon conversion you've done something disgusting quite well um and i guess the question being is the the little like voodoo doll on the front of the altar that we're seeing uh (laughs) is that something you did uh i'm guessing that's that's all sculpted and uh, what was the intent behind it because i love it well at some point i was just searching for you know elements to add to it because the the thing i learned from the ass cannon competition is more details the better so i just wanted to like chuck in as many stuff as i could um and i found this old mesopotamian scan of a uh, well i don't know it's a relief plate sort of thing like a clay thing and it was like a a fertility thing female like i was like okay i'm going to print this and add it but it was so tiny you know when i scaled it down to the, the the i think it was about eight millimeters high that i could fit on there it was basically you know invisible so i was like okay i'll make my own and that's basically how that happened so yeah i i tried to make it look like a female but in the pictures it it yeah didn't really come out as intended but i liked it as well i mean i think it totally fits with the scene uh and it's it's something that ties into the whole ritual aspect that i think is really kind of all over this uh you know this rather large base as we've discussed the funniest part was actually filling the the, the whole i, I mean I, I made the cavity first the, the the gut cavity and then i started making like a also with the um uh, with the tentacle maker i made a, a spine but you can't see it because it's filled in with the intestines and stuff like that right. um, so I, I actually sculpted a whole lot of stuff that just got covered with a lot of other stuff that i sculpted because you know you need intestines to pull out i i'm That's learning that lesson just in spades doing uh you know some some pretty from the ground up sculpting and uh it's definitely a few lessons in uh you know tactical avoidance of details where you know you're going to overcome it later and that that in combination with kind of the time and patience aspect of green stuffing is really challenging but i mean that's why we take work in progress pictures i guess so um yeah you've done a great job there we'll put a plug in here for the um the role maker thread we're looking for anybody who uh, has cool uses of green stuff world role makers to to make textured tubes we're trying to come up with a I don't know, as many as we can, just different uses to kind of inspire people and, and figure out all the cool different patterns and, and uses for that for that tool. This is something that's you know, not easy to find. Everybody has the uses that they use it for, and I think we have a lot of members uh, with them at minimum. So trying to come up with a catalog of different ways you can use that tool. Yeah, definitely. And the forum's the best place to do that as well, because as we were talking about earlier, it's that place where... That knowledge is not going to get lost. It's gonna, it's going to enter into those libraries of uses for that tool, so that future users can can stumble across it in years to come. Okay, lovely. Shall we move on to the the next entry, then, boys? Go for it. 
All right, the next one we have is by um, a bet sitter. He hasn't corrected me in a way that I say his name, so we're sticking with a bet sitter. <laughs> now, a bet sitter has a um, a hobgoblin themed diorama here. So he has a hobgoblin riding a unicycle down a set of stairs, uh, chasing a dwarf slayer who's got his hands up in the air and is running for his life. Now, those of you not watching on YouTube and just listening to the audio, you, you, you might think I'm talking rubbish there and I'm just, just pulling your leg. But no, that, that is quite literally what we are looking at right now. It's absolutely, absolutely wacky. Um, but very, very well executed. A very comical and very dynamic piece. Now, I have a feeling I've seen this Hobgoblin on the unicycle before. I feel like this might be, uh, I think it was called Chaos Nix, who was sculpted by a pyro stick, maybe? It's, it's one of Chaos Dwarf Online's creators who created this they were selling them until quite recently i do remember that there was a thread on the discourse a little while ago where it was like the last one or two of these were going for sale and perhaps a better sitter um picked it up then it is an absolutely wacky creation though such a cool cool model and uh i'm loving the fact that we have this slayer running away like that a character who, in all Warhammer Fantasy lore, is supposed to fight absolutely anything, no matter what size or strength. Uh, fleeing from a unicycle hobgoblin is just its just too cool. So yeah, anything we want to say on this one, Japs? As, uh, as he's pointed out in the, in the, the polling thread, uh, the Slayer is indeed shitting himself, and that really definitely is something, uh, a note not to be avoided when you're looking at this. Uh, I definitely had missed it at first, but... Well pointed out. It's an amazing detail. Um, my only thinking on this is that the word unicycle was used 14 times in Chaos Dwarfs Online's history. Um, and I cannot find any reference to the mini that you're... Oh, hang on a minute. Maybe I have found one. I feel like the model's called Chaos, Chaos Mix with a, with a K. Yeah, I think. it was. If memory serves. Was it, was it Pyro Stick? Um, the posts that I'm seeing are all, yeah, it was Pyro Stick. There we go. I, yeah. I win, I win one CDO encyclopedic knowledge badge. I'm going to award to myself now. Sculpted by Maxim Rosenberg has been cast in white metal. And yeah, he's, he's pretty much run that straight. It was a, intended for use in Blood Bowl by the looks of it. Oh, that makes sense. There's a Blood Bowl, uh, yeah, kind of like a Sassany sort of character it could be. and uh, Or you could run it as like the pogo stick for a goblin army. He's, he's got that wacky Blood Bowl feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah. I think it's great, though. Well, one thing I, I really like to point out before I even discuss the, the, the entry is I love the fact that this is made by a Games, uh, games Workshop, by a um, CDO member, uh, sold to a CDO member, entered in a CDO competition. Um that's just yeah. terrific. just I, I love the fact that it's it's made by one of us. Makes me feel that's kind pretty of pretty satisfying. Too. Yeah, definitely that's pretty satisfying. Um I, I like the use of color in this. And the, I mean I, I, I prefer red anyway. I love red uh, models, but this looks just awesome. Um in fact I probably painted pretty similar, maybe a bit more dirty grimdark but that's just my preference um also 
but well, that's part of the model, a lot of the paint job. I like the mushrooms on his head. Um, and and as you guys have pointed out, which I fully agree with, the the, the Slayer and well, the fact that he's shitting himself and all that stuff is just really pretty pretty cool details. Really nice entry. Yeah, I think he would come in, uh, in it, or it'd be a real hot contest with uh, with Jack's ass cannon in terms of uh, the the face on the Slayer and and things just exuding sheer terror. And I think this is a this is something <laughs> you could put it you could put in line with that. Um, oh. <laughs> the other comment I have is is I really like the scene, uh, the the painting and everything on the it's really a diorama at this point. I think that really. Uh, they're really nice, uh, nicely taken pictures. So I think that really adds to it, and especially the yeah. uh, kind of the dark cave look it's coming out of, just adds to the whole scene of it. I mean, the fact he's he's driving down the stairs to catch the Slayer is just it it adds to the madness. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't it shouldn't be out of travel down there, but it's it's trundling towards you, <laughs> and you comparing it to to my uh, my ass my ass cannon monster. Uh, this thing chasing the dwarf down to the deepest, deepest dungeon where he finally uh, finds a room, slams a door behind him and finds my thing looking back at him and neither are sure who's more scared at one another. Oh, amazing. At that point, the Slayer has to wonder what, what's in store for him. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I bet so you, you've often given us to kind of the interesting and the weird and the wonderful here and, you, and you, you've outdone yourself mate it's absolutely fantastic really well humored and uh well executed um diorama that you've created there it's certainly got some chuckles from us and uh and it's not just laughing it's also you know we're, we're very impressed with with the painting with the layout and with the photography and everything yeah great great work mate brilliant stuff okay and next on cdo's next top model we have Grastrak, yes, uh, he has created um, for his Age of Sigmar uh, army here a unit of Hobgrots, and I believe that he hasn't done a ton of conversion work here, but looking at them, they look so different to what you expect. They are so different to the box art that it took me a while to try and work out, has he re-sculpted here? Has he changed something here? But he hasn't. I think he's just let his paint uh, kind of do the work here on, 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 on showing these. Now, these Hobgrots are rendered in white, real, real white. They've got kind of almost like an albino sort of skin. It makes me think a little bit of the Pale Orc from the Hobbit films. It's got that kind of very white skin. And then they're daubed in this kind of uh, red, most likely sort of like bloody kind of war paint in different symbols and stripes on their faces and body. And uh, and one of their weapons is absolutely dripping in gore there. Really striking, really striking uh, looking army. And of course, it's Grask who has the um, the grimdark Chaos Dwarf thread where he has Legion of Asgore models uh, rendered in white and red. So I imagine these have been painted, say, thematically would would fit with these. Uh, an interesting thing, I spoke quite a bit with with Grask while we were um while we were painting our um golden hat entries. Uh we were both on the Discord channel on uh on audio just having a good old chinwag and it absolutely amazed me that he's been a member of this community since 2007. He is proper OG CDO. Um this is actually his first golden hat that he's entered. He's, he's meant to enter them in the past, but this is actually the first one that he's entered. 
So yeah, let's have a little chat about what uh, what Grass created here. I think first thing that I read in these is uh, is God of War inspiration, and and I could be completely wrong, but I, the the skin tone, red face paint, uh, just in general, there he he's brought something in that I, I wouldn't have necessarily expected, and and I think the combination of the blood and the, and the using blood as paint presumably uh, really adds to these, uh, and like you said, it makes them very distinct from from the box art and and something that he does with uh, you know Age of Sigmar models all the time. So grow to expect it. Um, but yeah, I, I really like what he's done, done with the tone and the, and the armor is very striking against it as well. Um, to me, he is the first painter of these hobgrots that actually made me notice scars for some reason. It's, it's the first time I saw them, um, which is, well, pretty nifty. Um, I also really love the face paint and, and the red. It, it's just so striking. Um, but I might be a bit partial because I really love his painting style in, in the grimdark white. Um, and, and the metals in these models, they just look very realistically um, uh, oxidized, which is, you know, the rust effect and the, and the oxidation is really cool. Um, yeah, they, they just look really visually stunning. I, I really like these. And also very, very good pictures. Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say, just gonna say that he's he's made a cool scene again. Uh, uh, just something that really brings it brings it all together. And, and yeah, like like you said, I, I don't know if I really knew I needed face paint on these until he changed the skin tone and then and then really used it as an accent. You know, when I you know just reviewing the earlier in box art kind of hobgrats, didn't really know that I wanted this, but it definitely just adds so much uh, character to these sculpts. Yeah, but it's not it's it's not just the face paint, it's also on the arms and stuff like that. It just you know, if it was only the face paint, I think it would lose a bit of, of it's you know, it tells a story. I mean it, it looks like they were in a battle and they cut up their enemies and then with the blood on their hands they just painted their faces. It it just tells a bit more of the story than just before before the battle they just did some makeup on each other and then went into battle. You know. <laughs> yeah, and it and it leads uh, leans into the the one champion who's already got kind of the the blood dripping from the sword and 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 all their weapons being very you know viciously notched and everything, so it all reads really well together. Exactly. Yeah, I get big um, Lord of the Rings vibes from these guys. Weirdly, um, the coloring reminds me of some of the stuff from from those movies, um, but the the hands are a really nice motif because like you say it tells a story and the story it tells is that these guys have like a cultural practice almost and and their motif is these like bloody hands but he's managed to paint it in such a way that you get that sense of um reality into it like they've clearly shoved their hands into someone's guts it goes you know up the arm but he hasn't like base coated it he's splashed it on there in a way that looks really quite horrifyingly realistic um but then also let's not do down the armor right like this is a guy who's managed to find a muted enough color to de-emphasize the crotch rope whilst at the same time <laughs> making these weather beaten you know tarnished um, mottled look armor pieces that aren't just verdigris right they are 
all in different states of patchiness in their erosion. And I think that is a really good use of it. And again, it feels quite organic. It feels like what would really happen if you have a bronze chest plate and you just left it for a long time to gather verdigris. Um, and I think that that really grounds the models. Um, and again, this is another entry where I really think um, you could legitimately get this listed in White Dwarf or somewhere like that if you put your mind to it, because this is the kind of thing that GW depends on people doing with their minis, which is to say playing them straight physically, but then visually making them more impressive than they were before they were painted. Yeah. I think if he enters these on the website, you know, you can the, the community paint job stuff. Yeah. I think these will will most definitely be added. Yeah, yeah I think they would. Because because Grask is an interesting one where um uh, he, he's, he's a veteran of the original forum. He's been around since almost day one. But he's also really, really embraced Age of Sigmar. He likes the system. He's got Age of Sigmar armies. He paints things on circle bases and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and he's really, really embraced that. I mean, it's an interesting kind of uh, dichotomy, really, because I think sometimes you can think, oh, the people from the older days would be more against the newer games. But, but, but Grask isn't like that. He's actually really moved with the times as it were and that's not a criticism of, of people who do prefer the older stuff at all that's not a criticism of them because we've got some of those coming up actually who create some really beautiful stuff as well but i find i find him a very interesting guy where he's he's kind of moved his painting style and his army collecting style to a whole new game system but still keeps on doing the chaos to war thing and staying alive in our community and that it's very cool yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see this go up on on Games Workshop, but it wouldn't necessarily help them shift uh, Hobgrot flesh paint. So maybe maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't Fair work. Point. That's it. That's it. I mean, we could argue that if the Hobgrots had half decent rules, they might shift a few. But that's a conversation for another day. All right. So yeah, that was a that was Grask's entry, and yeah, an absolutely absolutely fantastic entry, painted in his signature grimdark style. And a very new sort of cool twist on the uh, on the hobgrots we got there. Very very cool. Very cool indeed. Uh, moving on now on to uh, entry number nine. This was created by um, Bassman. And if you're watching on YouTube, guys, this is this is popping up on your screen now. If you're listening in a car or something, uh, let me briefly describe to you uh, what I'm looking at here. What we have is a unit of um, hobgoblins. Um, in uh, kind of like Warhammer Fantasy Battle style. So they're on their 20mm bases. They're all rank and file. They're all together. But what he has done is he's injected so much personality and so much movement into this unit by having every single little model be a conversion. They're all doing something slightly different. They're, some of them are, are coming out from underneath rocks or rocks have just fallen on them or something. Others look like they're squabbling away. And the, the absolute thing that everyone's going to notice straight away is that there is an absolutely massive ogre within the ranks of these hobgoblins with a big Scythian hat on dressed exactly like them. <laughs> like he somehow thinks he's going to blend in with these guys. Um, the models themselves are conversions of um, Warhammer Knight goblins, probably like kind of Skull Pass models or similar. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a beautiful, beautiful entry. Very vibrant colours. Lots and lots of creativity, lots of originality. Uh, has anyone got anything they'd like to say about this entry? I think you don't see 
that much use of blue it's a, it's a common conversation that we have right is like the palette that we're given to work with can be quite restricting at times um and i think that the most standout thing for me about this is just how vivid it is given that it retains you know this nice obsidian um basing texture and all this kind of stuff it's just really nice to see like a dark midnight purpley blue being used i think the things like the scythian hat on the ogre a really nice touch of class it's just for, for something that has a dark palette it is really colorful and vibrant and i really enjoy that definitely that really nailed the color scheme if you look at the the dark black blue on the on the robes and then the the yellows uh, with spots of red in the in the shields, it's just a very good combination that works really well. Um, and I mean, you know, you said that the ogre like tries to blend in but fails, but in my mind, he does really succeed at blending in, even though he's like more than twice their size. Yeah, it, it's like it's it's subtle yet he's in your face, which is very well done. I really like this unit. Also, plus one for square bases in a unit formation. <laughs> showing our bias there. <laughs> yeah, I like how the unit turned out to have a lot of like verticality to it, and it's a lot of visual interest. You know, and and I like a, a rank and rank and flank army that's you know just all your even monopose whatever I, that has its own aesthetic to it. But this is something that I tend to go for a little bit more in terms of just like he's got not just a banner creating height difference, but you know spears in all different orientations. The ogre adds a ton of like visual interest drawing your eyes up and then he's even got some that are even shorter like uh you know there's just the one that squished underneath some of the like the cubes of uh of obsidian there so he's got like all sorts of different height working in the unit i think that just makes your it makes you look at all the different parts of it too when you're when you're moving around like that it's an interesting one isn't it raver because I am uh, a member of a few different uh, Facebook groups, uh, Warhammer-related and, and miniature collecting-related ones. And one of the ones is the, uh, is the Kings of War, um, Mantic's Kings of War group. And that game has much more of an ethos of your, your unit walking around this one block, one thing. So people within that have the creativity to turn their rank-and-flank blocks into little mini walking dioramas. Now, some of what I see on that group I really really like and some of what I see it just goes too far for me I've seen some lovely um, ones where they've got whole giant mausoleums with zombies pouring out of them stuff or that basically built an entire castle on this unit's movement tray that walks around with them and for me sometimes it goes so far that it kind of breaks immersion that these are troops walking around I think there's a real fine line with that walking diorama thing where as you say, you're adding multi-levels and you're adding interest, but it still looks like a group of soldiers walking around on a battlefield. And I think your blog is a very good example of, of how that can be done really well. We've struck that balance perfectly. And I think this unit as well is another one where it struck that balance perfectly. There's a little story being told. There's some movement. There's some different levels. But it also doesn't look like a house walking around on a battlefield. Yeah, I agree. And and he is, I mean, by nature of actually including a bunch of 20, 20 millimeter bases, you're restricted to a certain extent. You know, if you don't, I mean, he's got some filler in here, obviously, but you're still restricted out of some of the choices that you could make if you were going to like that, you know, Kings of War style. So it almost forces you into it to, to be in that middle ground. But it's still, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's 
I think it's fun to try and, and play for that, but uh, and I think he's done it really well here. Yeah, definitely. And for those that don't know, Bassman's also uh, quite an active hobbyist on our, on our forum. It was him. It was he who created the uh, the Chaos Dwarf enslaved ogres, didn't he? With the big hats and the big noses and beards and stuff. That's a really cool blog, isn't it? Yeah. So I might flash some images up on that actually, because if, if anyone hasn't, uh, if anyone isn't aware of that work and isn't aware of that army, that's an army that is just similar to this, utterly delightful in the amount of uh, detail that's gone into each little conversion, each little part of it. Really cool. It's also just really nice to see someone getting mileage out of night goblins because they have such a place in the history of the community and the way that they got people through the Battle for Skull Pass period. Um, seeing them continue to be used when there are lots of alternatives now allows people to use them in a situation like this where they really have something to say with them, um, which is nice. Um, and I think he's really succeeded at that. Yeah, I tend to agree, actually. It's... um. I mean, the, the Night Goblin sculpts are lovely, aren't they? they they've got that. They've got those character, little, characterful little faces. They've got a lot going on in those respects, but they're also um, designed to be simple enough that painting them isn't arduous and stuff. They are just lovely models, and they've been used to uh, to great effect here. Um, how has he made them hobgoblinoid? He's, he's kind of extended their legs and stuff in places, hasn't he? Yeah, I think they they stand taller, so normally. Those skirts that they've got would be um, where the miniature ends, whereas instead you see all of those legs and feet are his own work. Um, and then the other thing I think he's done is I think he has peaked forward the hats just a little bit. So instead uh... of being, you know, witch-like hoods, they are now more recognisably Scythian-esque. Although, as we say, the most standout piece of, of hat sculpture he's done that ogre's hat looks exactly like a 93 Hobgoblins did. Yeah, brilliant. All right, I think we'll, uh, unless anyone's got any other comments about, about um, Bassman's work, we'll move on to the next one if we're all ready. So the next one, <laughs> this is by, um, depending on how I'm going to pronounce these O's now, this is either by user um, Hashoot or Hashoot... There are a lot of O's in this screen name. So user Hashoot, I'm going to say from now on because I'm not going to do that every time. Um, what we have here is we have a group of hobgoblins, naturally, being a hobgoblin painting competition. But these are not designed for use uh, in something like Age of Sigma or Warhammer Fantasy Battles. These, to me, look like fantasy football miniatures. They look like um, Blood Bowl or maybe like a third-party Blood Bowl uh, models. Now, I'm not completely clued up with all the ranges that are out there for Blood Bowl. So these could be heavily converted models or they could be straight-off-the-shelf models. I don't, I don't actually know. What I will say is that they are very, very characterful sculpts lot of movement in them and the paint scheme that uh, they've been given is really really nice the yellow and green is a classic combo it really really pops and they've got a kind of a bit of a grim dark sort of very realistic look about them they look very cool let's have a little chat about these ones guys you know what the thing this competition is showing me is that some people are much better with yellow than i am <laughs> It's it's again a very well a very good use of yellow, um, and it, it pulls your eyes to the 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 hoods and the the loincloths a, a lot, um, and then you're like looking at all the details, 
if I'm not mistaken, the lower right one and or the most right two models, I'd say, they have some blue in them or teal or whatever it is. Yeah. Which also, again, works well with the yellow. Um, they're nice. Uh, I, I don't know if they're the same as you. I don't know anything about Blood Bowl except for the fact that they look like Blood Bowl models. These are um, from a range called Comixininos because Blood Bowl is inexplicably incredibly popular in Spain. Um, and the minis are pretty much unmodified. Um, however, it's fair to say that he's gotten a lot more out of them um, and they're a lot more vivid than the paint scheme as it's originally envisaged by the, the seller. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think he's done just a lot to kind of take colors. And I, I think the teal especially pops. So does the red of the ball in the bottom left-hand corner. But, you know, yellow is a very intimidating color, especially when you're not using contrast and, and kind of cheat sheet colors like that. But he's really managed to make this quite an impressive combination that, you know, would look really vivid and very much more like a sports team than lots of people would have the guts to paint. Yeah, it's a lovely colour scheme as well. I mean, I would say this because I've just realised it's the exact same colour scheme as my 40k Orc army. So he's obviously a man of impeccable taste. <laughs> yeah, just looking at that, uh, the, the image you sent along, Chits, the, uh, I really like how he's gone and painted the faces. I think he's brought a lot of character into them just relative to what I'm seeing the other one. They they look much more just kind of like shadowed and covered and not really uh, not really presented a, a, to the degree that they can. I think he's shown that they, they're really characterful looking sculpts. Uh, some of the, the grins and smirks on them are really awesome. And I, I think he's really brought that, uh, brought that forward with the painting that he's done on them. Yeah. Lovely work. Really, really lovely work. Actually, great, great effort there. Um, let's have a look now at the next one on our list. So this is entry number 11. There are so many entries to this competition. <laughs> Now, this entry is one that I think a lot of us um, were looking forward to seeing simply because um, this is, this is um, Fug It Khans. And we were a little bit like, what way is he going to go on this? Because um, Khan is a massive, massive Hobgoblin fan. He has been a collector of, of Hobgoblins for a very long time, the original 1990 sculpts and stuff. And um, he's also a very, very prolific sculptor. Yeah, you, you'll know his work if you're a member of the forum because a lot of the models that are sold for Admiral Miniatures um, began life on his desk. But he was quite outspoken about the new Hobgoblin uh, releases for Age of Sigmar, the Hobgrots in that he didn't feel that they really matched his vision of what hobgoblins are. So I think a lot of us were interested to see what way he was going to go, especially when he revealed that he had bought some and was going to be upgrading them, going to be turning them into more of what his vision of what modern hobgoblins could be. So what we have here is a unit of three hobgoblins, and they have taken the, uh, the, he's taken the original hobgrot sculpts, and he has modified these extensively really really heavily he has um, added that kind of signature hunch to their backs but quite a lot of our forum users said about the new hobgrots where's the hunch it says this whole thing about in hobgoblin lore they're supposed to have grown this massive humpback so 
because they're so used to being stabbed in the back and it's a natural defence and all that kind of thing. Um, so he's kind of built that back into the models. Um, he's given them much more long flowing tunic style armour. Crotch ropes are nowhere to be seen. Uh, a scale mail is back in. So the kind of scale mail we're used to seeing on the hobgoblins and the chaos dwarfs from this era as well. The faces have had a little bit of work and the hats have had a tiny bit of work. But the leader one has had a real load of work on his hat. He's now got the big Scythian peaked hat with the spikes coming out of the side, much like some of those old Khan models. Uh, and another thing of note is the shield. The, the leader of these three hobgoblins has a shield which is shaped kind of like an evil sort of rune and is glowing with a, with a fiery sort of power. Um, but yeah, what do we want to say about this entry, gents? Um, well, I'll say what everybody is thinking. I love the shield. Um... I'd assume it's, it's a mag magical shield because otherwise it's not very effective. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 a nice touch to to draw the eye. Um, even though we're not really judging sculpting, it's 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 a very nice touch. Um, painting wise, I really love the the muted blacks and grays. Um, yeah, it reminds me a bit of of Reaver's stuff, though different but it, it has the same darky gritty tone to them um and i like the fact that the only real popping colors are the the reds and the scarves and the heads uh i like him though to be honest i would never see myself putting that much work <laughs> to a full unit of eight edition hobgoblins i mean that would be a lot of work but it's yeah. it's worth it. I think this was really a tech demo more than than something we're going to see again, right? Because you know what has he kept from the original sculpt? Well, the basics of the skeleton of the pose. He's kept the feet, the weapons, um, and the faces and helmets. But that's almost it right everything else is covered over and honestly looks as is always the case with fuck it professional grade sculpting and really characterful painting as well and i agree with you michael i think that muted color scheme really makes the point that these guys are quite evil i think the other thing that he's done a really good job of is the weapons themselves in their kind of shining bronze way form some of the most significant highlights of the minis um because you have only a handful of warm colors like you mentioned but the the warm color you didn't mention is if you see the the big boss his sword um is gleaming on the edge where he's holding it aloft which is a really nice touch i think this is an incredibly impressive piece of sculpting um but i also think it is it is depressing how little of the underlying hobgrot remains not because i was fond of the hobgrot but because it's a demonstration that like to get back to 93 the amount of work you've got to do on this you know is really significant all the more admirable for fuck it that he did it but to one of you who's worked with these uh, did he uh, edit the grenade as well because i yes i like the way it looks here in this yeah okay i thought but so fuck it I... is um is actually considers his primary hobby to be world war one historical modeling um, especially biplanes. Um, Warhammer is actually his second rank hobby, which when you see how much better he is at it than me is just depressing, frankly. Uh, yeah, I feel a bit depressed about that as well. 
Paul's <laughs> Warhammer, his the stepchild of his hobby, and World War One is is the favourite son. Reaver's point, I'm sure you guys can see, but in case you've got this podcast tabbed or anything, the hand grenade that's being held aloft, he's trimmed the top of it off and replaced it with a proper World War One potato stick. Yeah, yeah. Well, one last thing. Um, the skull belts that they're wearing around their midriffs. Yeah. That is an extremely precise, detailed tribute to the original 93 Hobgoblins who had a belt and skull uh, belt buckle that looked exactly like that. Fantastic eye for detail. Awesome. All right, let's press on because we have number 12 now. Number 12, uh, we have Zod the Immortal. And, and we shouldn't be um, surprised that Zod once again hasn't entered one, two, three, four models. He's entered legions of models because we should be getting used to this by now. This is what Zod does. He, I think he often sees the uh, painting competitions as a motivation to paint. And he enters everything he's painted between the announcement and the entry time. Because he's entered, uh, let's have a little look now. Uh, a full unit of hobgoblins with command there. Uh, a unit of hobgoblin archers. Two hobgoblin bolt throwers, a unit of hobgoblins on wolves, and a hobgoblin hero on wolf. So there is a lot being added, uh, a lot being entered here. So what we have is we have um, Hobgrots, the the Games Workshop Hobgrots, um, and he is proving something that we've been talking about a tiny bit on this podcast already. Um, that these models rank perfectly. We've we've talked about that a tiny bit in our speculation, uh, as well as that. We have some third-party uh, goblins with their heads changed for the Hobgrot heads. The Hobgrot kit gives you loads of spare heads. Uh, are these Oathmark goblins? They are. The mm, archers they are Oathmark, and so are the cavalry archers. Ah, a nice one. So we have Oathmark cavalry archers and archers, and the little Stabgrot from Age of Sigmar sneaking his way in. That model's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Um, and so yeah, then the Wolf Riders were using the classic Citadel plastic wolves with these Oathmark goblins on top. Uh, the Oathmark wolves are quite different beasts, they're quite large, so I suppose you'd have to make a choice about whether you like those or not, and I think he's gone for the older ones. Um, the Hobgoblin Hero is, is a model I'm not aware of, it's uh looks like a lead model, don't recognise it, one of you guys might. Yeah, it beats you chits, Christ, we'll never find out what it is then. <laughs> Answer on the postcard guys. And, and my personal favourite part of this whole mini diorama of models that's been given to us here are these bolt throwers. They are absolutely lovely bolt throwers. Piles of skulls on top of them. Old school looking sculpts. Very, very cool. And all of this has been rendered in Zod's classic colour scheme of every colour that you wouldn't think would work somehow working. We've got greens, we've got purples, we've got reds, we've got all sorts going on here. Um, he even varies the skin tone of the goblins quite a lot. We've got light kind of like yellowish greens all the way to almost bluish greens and everything in between. But yeah, I've taken up enough airtime just chatting about this now, guys. Um, does anybody want to give any thoughts towards one, two, three, any of these units? So I will say this. I've been holding off on making my core hobgrots in the actual full Hobgrot sculpt and just using them for conversion parts. But seeing how great they look with red armor and green skin has honestly made me want to run them as they're intended to be built 
for the first time. Ooh, that's very. I cool. think the the foot regimen is the single most impressive thing. I've gone on the record before. I don't like heroic scale heads on oathmark bodies. I think they look wimpy and weak. Um, but the work that he has done with the original core sculpts, I think, is so impressive that I'm probably going to steal that paint scheme and do my best cover version of it I can do. Right? That's that's basically word for word what I was going to say. <laughs> the red is, it's so beautifully done. I mean, I, I never hated these. Uh, the new the new hop rods, but dare I say, with this color scheme, I actually really like him. Um, beside the fact that he painted forty models, I just counted. It's actually forty models. Um, so that's insane. Um, but but you know, talking about the red, you you also have to give credit to the to the purple armors because they are as usually very well painted. Um, they work well. Um, also, the furs of the wolves, I really like those. They look, um, they all look different, in my opinion, which I like a lot. Yeah. Um, and I also like that, for example, the the red of the armor of the hubrods, it it also comes back in the shields and in the um, bolt throwers, which is a very nice touch. Um, and it's it's a nice little force to see. Yeah, you nabbed my comment about the wolves. That's that's one of my favorite parts. That sometimes you you don't really see that across uh, across a nice small unit, but he's got a good variation in there, uh, and it all works and it fits. And maybe that's just because of how he always does that and manages to pull it off. But I think that's a really cool add. Um, yeah, in general, really like the cav unit. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that's uh, standard, but if he put uh, the mace in that one guy's hand, maybe that that being the champion. But I think that's a cool little touch. If that uh, if that was something he added there, but either way, I think it's uh, it's really standout, and the and the purple on that just you man just to make it work, and yeah, we say this every time, but it's not something I would try, and I just kind of sit in awe of it. <laughs> I would never take the leap to do it. It's something I've had to try because I've uh, I've got Zod in the secret uh, Santa our Z secret Santa competition, which because um, I had two choices really, but I could give him a one off, or if I could, or I could give him something that I think yeah, that's going to fit in your army. And I I've decided to give him something that's going to fit in his army. I feel like I've been learning to paint from from scratch again. It's just a completely different approach to painting a model to my own approach. But it's been really really informative anyway. I've been I've been learning a lot by doing it, but. Um, Hopefully, when he receives what I'm sending him, it will fit in. It won't stick out like a sore thumb in all the photographs. You can't best. That's Jack's one, the crap one in the corner over there. All right, lovely. So that was Zod the Immortals um, entry to the competition. Right, ne next up we have um, Fralakan. Let's have a little look. Fralakan entered. So what we have here is a really, really interesting model a model that is it's not a model i'm aware of not a model i've seen being used before not a model i've seen our forums before it is a giant wolf but this giant wolf has big old bat wings and a great kind of serpentine style tail and it's being ridden by a hobgoblin hero shaman of some description now i know that there has been some conversion work going on here simply because i'm recognizing the banner that the hobgoblin hero is holding 
I'm recognizing it from somewhere. I'm not sure where, but I'm recognizing it from somewhere. And I'm recognizing the little skull from the top of that banner from the old Goblins plastic kit. So I'm pretty sure that banner is the Storm Vermin standard. Storm Vermin standard and a bit of a Goblin banner at the top. And then the actual cape that this guy's got is from the Chaos Marauders kit. So we can infer that a lot of different models and a lot of a lot of conversion has gone into the the rider of this creature. I don't know how much conversion stuff's gone into this this uh, magical mount that oh, he's I think riding. It has, and I'll tell you why. Go because for it. Because the the wolf neck, if you look at the picture from above, is has been made to sit very flush and very nicely, but is is fur textured. The torso, tail, wings, and limbs are all scales. Ah, oh, this is like a, someone's converted a dragon. Yeah, someone's taken and a dragon or something. Those wow. paws have been put on at right angles to what would have been the dragon's claws, the hands of which have been snipped off. Um, he may very well have sculpted the claws entirely from scratch because I don't recognise them or the wolf head, but, you know... This is a real piece of sculpture we're looking at here. What dedication! That is amazing. I didn't see if there was if there was a work in progress blog post or uh, how I made it afterwards. I didn't see it. I, I this this I'd be so interested to see the process on this. Right, has anyone got any comments or anything on this on this model? Anything we'd like to add? Anything we'd like to discuss about it? I mean, aside from just how gorgeous the model is I, I think i'm actually just now picking up i i really like the the kind of like almost oil slicky looking swamp type texture on the base yeah um something i i mean with a model like this i could just so easily get tied up in the in the details on the actual uh on the rider not to mention the mount all of that but i, I, do, I do like what he's done with the base and you know especially i'm, I'm imagining being quite a purpose-built endeavor to keep this thing balanced and and all of that so it's definitely Done. I done a pile of work here. Lot, lots of attention to detail, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Jack, you've been battling with some membranous wings recently. How are you feeling about the wings on this thing? Yeah, the wings are really, really nice. Um, now that I can see that they are dragon wings, it's like it's coming together a little bit more in my mind how this was made. But the 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 sculpt suggests to me I could be right off here. Just looking at trying to imagine the dragon that's underneath this. I'm thinking it's a lead model. I'm thinking it's a metal model. So I'm thinking there's got to be some serious pinning just to keep those keep those wings aloft. Because that model that I've been making recently, the Lamasu, it's a, it's a resin model with plastic wings. So it hasn't been too bad to kind of hold together and all that sort of thing. But this, I think, just holding it all in place and making it do what you want it to do would be a be very difficult he's done a great job here i love the color of the wings i love the fact that they are that bright kind of almost gory sickly red it tra it um it contrasts so nicely with both the gray fur of the wolf creature but also if you look at the shot from behind it contrasts beautifully with a bright yellow of the hero's cape and red and yellow are lovely colors to sit next to each other always makes each other pop i mean that's the Chaos Dwarf army I'm doing right now it's all in red and yellows for that reason as well it just makes both colors brings out the best in both of them yeah really cool work really cool work Frala. i'm really really impressed what's interesting about Frala, and we can include this bit or not but Frala actually um this is pretty much the only thing he's posted on the forum so 
this is a classic kind of lurker submarine surfaces torpedoes <laughs> the shit out of a competition we're all left going oh my god this is so creative you're so talented i want to know more i want to hear more but you know the guy's a mystery right he only registered in november of 2020 um and then this is pretty much the only thing he's really posted yeah some people use our forum for that don't they some people like the competitions and they they join and pop in for the competitions and then pop out they don't really uh get as involved in the ongoing discussion and I think there's a place for that. I, I mean, I'm I'm never going to say no to lovely content like this, but um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I th- I'd say that this is definitely a, an entrant who is somebody who's interested in the competition. They've come in, possibly even joined for this competition, judging on that join date. Hmm. Well, either way, Frally, you're welcome to carry on lurking, but if you are listening, we're very impressed. Um, and we'd love to hear more and see whips and stuff like that. Yeah, work in progress blog now. Right, should we move on then, gentlemen? Because next we have one of our um, competition veterans, someone whose work we have often marvelled at and discussed in depth, and that is Jack Swift. Jack Swift's paint jobs and conversions and everything always, always blows away, and we always spend a lot of time discussing his work. And I found the Hobgoblin theme, I thought it was going to be quite an interesting one for him, because it's not an thing I've seen a lot of him doing. I've seen a lot of him do, uh, I've seen a lot of his work be house dwarfs and their big war machines and their big robots and stuff like that. So it's quite interesting. But he's gone very left field with this. He's picked a uh, a third party model, which is absolutely brimming in personality. So for those of you at home who uh, can't see this on the screen, what we have is a uh, Hobgoblin goblin creature with a very kind of like Japanese kind of feudal style mask on with the kind of tusks and teeth and stuff. Um, he's riding, I don't think a giant wolf, I think he's riding a giant rat of some description. Um, he is armed with an absolutely massive sword in one hand. Uh, in the other hand, he's armed with, uh, well, his arm's been replaced with an electronic circular saw. And of course, he's not left home without a parasol, because, you know, it gets hot on Darklands. Um, and, and this model is then standing upon a, a small little island in a in a lake of a lake of lava. It's a very, very cool, uh, very, very distinctive model. Kind of steampunky sort of vibes. I don't know the maker of this model. I, I, it feels very kind of Rackham confrontation to me. I'm not I sure, though. I think you are correct. I think this is a goblin of Nodan Carl. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Eddie knows quite a bit about this, uh, about this range. He talks about it quite a lot, but it's not, it's not a... Uh, I think it was very big on the continent. I don't think it was massive in Britain, this this game. So I never it kind of passed me by a little bit. I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but again, the use of the blue and the blacks on the armor and then the base with the reds and the yellows is, again, well chosen. Um, this this model was actually one of my favorites, and I really like the, the white streaks on the sword. Um, almost makes it look like it's some kind of stone or, or something. I think it's... in intentional i hope it's intentional um i also really like the giant red uh, with the light pinkish tail and the the transitions from going pretty dark gray to almost white and then the pink skin um the red's face mask the hanji mask is also very cool um and i like that he uses like yellow goldish details on the head and on the arms uh just you know to to make some details pop a lot. Um, 
Talking about the sculpt, I really like the eye patch or, or what looks like an eye patch on the red. I don't think it's yeah. an eye patch, but it looks like it. Um, <laughs> I really like it. It's it's a very cool model. And I'd, I wish I had it. Yeah, so this thing reads to me as exactly what the hobgoblins would look like in the future where we get uh, samurai walrus riding cast horse. <laughs> yes, bringing it back. Um, for the listeners at home that are unaware of uh, samurai uh dwarfs who ride walruses um i'm not going to explain it join the forum find out nice anyone who's interested in the miniature by the way it's called the baron ozone o-z-o-h-n um and you get him mounted and on foot this is still available to buy chits so cadwallon miniatures sells confrontation still Ah. um I don't understand everything that went on with the confrontation IP. I know that it was discontinued for a while. I don't believe all of the minis are available. This one still is. It'll cost you about 12 euros. Yeah, because from what I understand, the game kind of came and went, didn't it? But yeah, the rights to the miniatures did go to some places. That's why I asked, because I did. I do know for a fact there are some confrontation miniatures you can get, and there are some you just can't get. Yeah. They're very distinctive. They look like themselves and not much else. And I don't own any of them for that reason. Yeah, they can be quite hard to mesh with. I've seen some of their evil dwarfs and I thought they were really cool. But then their evil dwarfs have this kind of strange scale thing going on with they've got kind of different shaped heads and bodies and stuff. And an army of them would look amazing. But I'm not sure I could get them to work with any of the stuff I've already got. I mean, if if it's... Well, it obviously is, but... Unless there's another version of the one I'm seeing right now. He did do some pretty hefty sculpting on it. Yeah. As far as I can see, the arm... Or he actually had an arm holding that umbrella. That is gone. Um, He added a spike to the umbrella, as far as I can see. Obviously the saw, that's new. Um, I think he did some stuff, some work on the rat's head, but... That's hard to see. I'm not quite sure. Um, the sword is different, ish. And in fact, I think he comes with a uh, with a gun, with a rifle. Maybe there's different weapon options. I'm not sure. Hmm. I think he's got bags of personality, um, the yep. way that he's been done. And I also think he's extra fun because you know we don't get to see a goblin of means very often in our thing we don't usually see you know someone with a parasol and i think that's just kind of fun um the love riding the giant rat all this kind of stuff and really some of the most impressive work to me on this thing is on the rat itself on the way that it's object source lit from underneath by some of the lava um and then just the way that the fur pops against the the pink of the flesh is quite distinctive and really quite charming yeah, the face mask is what does it for me. The goblin's face in general, it's really well done. The lens, yeah. He's... Did you see the lens on his eye? The yeah. right upper picture. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say the the reds on the face, and then the uh, the little back banner and the uh, and the base really tie in all together nicely. And then the the warming, yeah, like Jet said, he's done on the on the actual rat as it's close to the lava. And he's he's done that really well in his other uh, his other entries that we've discussed in the past. 
in terms of the uh, kind of OSL effects on the bass. Yeah. I was trying desperately to figure out a source on that saw blade because I feel like I've seen it before, but no such luck so far. Uh, it's very, very close to a Mage Knight blade golem, which I do have, but uh, it looks it looks to be a tad different, but he might have just done some manipulation to it or it's uh, something similar. Yeah, do you know what? I just assumed 40k straight away, but I can't. I just assumed that, but looking at it, I couldn't pin it to a certain kit. So you're probably all right. It probably is something more obscure. Mm, very, very cool entry. Very original. Something not like anything we've ever seen before. Impressed a lot of us. Well done. Moving on to uh, number 15, we have uh, an entry by, um, I'm never quite sure how to say the username, Will Liam. William. All right. We have not one, not two, but three Hobgoblin big bosses, Hobgoblin Khans riding the wolves with the spiky heads all of which are extremely sought after miniatures extremely extremely <laughs> sought after miniatures so i don't know if this is just a, an absolute flex this this entry saying look at what i can afford check out these models <laughs> because all of these models are real real collectors items these days i mean chit squad will tell you people are always always looking for these models and i believe that wolf head especially is something that people are often after because Sometimes the hero survives years and years in the bits box, but the wolf and the head go missing over time. But what we have is we have three of these heroes, and uh, they're on cavalry bases. Uh, two of them are riding wolves, uh, and one of them is kind of standing next to his wolf. And they are painted in a beautifully old-school style, bright popping colours, bright green bases, really nice. Uh, but with some modern touches as well. The armour is kind of like kind of grimy and realistic. And the bases have just got these gorgeous little details like a red and white toadstools and like curling um, like ferns kind of like poking up from the undergrowth. Very, very cool models. Let's have a little chat about these guys. So you've actually fallen prey to an optical illusion, Oxy. Have I really? I'm Only done. one of the three is riding his wolf. If you look okay. at the, at the oh, yes. of the one is standing astride his wolf, one is standing behind his wolf. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> Back to the off-topic, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, look, I, I, the first thing that struck me about this when I realised it was three miniatures all painted subtly differently um, was the flex of it, the sheer flex. If only you knew how much wealth is contained in this one picture how much value uh, was destroyed in resale by painting all three of them um, <laughs> but i love it i i think it's really interesting i can't tell whether it's like a study like a, a sort of a diorama style triptych of one character this this lord as he mounts his wolf or, or what but i don't particularly mind what matters is, you know, this is, as it was envisaged, an army leader in the 90s style. He looks, he's been painted, that scheme is very characterful. I love especially the furs on the back and the shoulders. They really impress me. But I also like what's been done with his enormous headdress, which I think is probably one of the most important focal points. He's found a way to put blue in this. He's found a way to put green in this. He's found a way to put yellow in this in a, in a way that many people, myself included, just wouldn't necessarily be able to do. I mean, I can agree more. The, the fur is just stunning. It really draws in the eye. Um, and 
I mean, to me, they don't really feel like old paint jobs or, or old school paint jobs, I should say. Um, they they look like something that's that's pretty tight and modern. Um, other than that, I really agree with everything you said. It's quite the, the, the fact that he used again blue and and a lot of other colors. Um, they they blend in very well. Um, I like the fact that the furs are are much lighter than what you usually see. That normally they're like pretty dark, or at least as far as I know. Um, and as you said, uh, Jack, the the the, the ferns and the the mushrooms they really give a fun touch to the. I, I really like the fern actually. It's it's very well done. Yeah, I like the uh, very. It's a, it's a more advanced take on the goblin green bases, but combined with a goblin green goblin, the, the yeah. goblin, the face, and everything is very good. It, it works really well. And then he's taken done the opposite, where he's taken the the red scale mail and and thrown it onto the bases. So, and, and on the interior of the kind of the twisty fern thing. So, between those aspects, they really all it just brings it all together. And I think that's something that you you don't necessarily always see when you're looking at something with a goblin green base. But uh, it works really well here, and I think that actually that that kind of strengthens that approach when you're using the colors elsewhere and then bringing other colors into the base. But it still very much has that vibe of your goblin green basing. Yes, it's got one foot in the past without being old fashioned. It's a nod to what came before. It's well executed. Also, Chitzko got to use the word triptych, which was you know I was just impressed by that, quite frankly. <laughs> Shall we move on, gentlemen? Um, 16, we have Goltor. Uh, Goltor, lovely fella, fantastic artist. He was the artist who produced the front cover to our first zine. If you haven't downloaded our zine yet, check it out on the website. Um, he, he produced that, that beautiful um, giant looming over a sorcerer prophet. Very, very cool piece. But here we have Goltor's entry to the Golden Hat. We have two hobgoblin warriors on Wolfback. And someone could be um, forgiven for looking at this straight away and saying, well, this looks like a Games Workshop model straight out of the box because everything fits together so beautifully. But if you look at this longer, you will realize that what we have here is actually a really, really intense amount of kit bashing going on. We have um, Hobgoblin Wolf Riders from the old Wolf Rider set, whose equipment and weapons and helmets have all been converted heavily including body armor and stuff sculpted on them the wolves i don't think these are hobbit wolves i think these might even be fenrisian wolves i can't quite tell i think they might be fenrisian ones that they are riding which have had additional details such as their muzzles and stuff added as well unless these are lead wolves i'm not aware of i think they're not though hard to tell either way these models are really really beautiful everything ties together really really well to to create a uh whole sort of picture there but i think an awful lot of work has gone into making that happen let's have a little chat about these guys for me the the, the faces of these goblins aren't really my style if, if that makes sense I, I really like the faces but i mean you know that's not what we're judging for me the absolute best part of this one is once again the the fur of the lighter wolf I mean that's that's got to be one of the best paint jobs on a wolf I've ever seen. Um, I think it's really, really well done and, and very balanced. Um, 
I wish the goblins were a bit lighter, but again, that's that's taste. What I do see is well executed. Um, you know, regardless of what my personal taste is, I do like the the use of colors. I like the blood on the on the weapons and on the wolves. It's it's there, but it's not over the top. Um, I like the dangling head. It's also painted very realistically, like it's you know just chopped off and flung on there. Um, I like the skull on the dagger on the left on the on the white wolf rider. Um, overall, I think these are are very well, and I think they'll. I, I'm imagining a whole unit, or or at least you know, like a unit of ten of these, and I think that would be very visually stunning to see. That uh, that ogre gut plate that he's used is another nice, uh, a nicely sourced bit. I think that really works well with the with the style of goblins he's got going here. Um, that's something I didn't pick up on initially, but I actually used that bit somewhat recently. Uh, but I I like that that gut plate in general. It's not doesn't scream ogres to me, but I it seems to really fit with the kind of the hats and everything that he's got going on this unit. So I like it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I like the the muzzles are really awesome. That's something you don't see a lot. So uh, whatever he's done to to make that work is really excellent. Um, I thought for at first they were from the uh, the Logan Grimnar chariot or whatever it's called. Oh, the Santa Claus sleigh. Yeah, I, I don't believe that's the case. Um, could be some some other uh, space wolf. These are Fenrisian wolves from the box. Okay, gotcha. The, only, the yeah. only reason why you don't recognize them when looking at the box is because he's used different head-on-torso combinations than they use in the box picture. Okay. Has he added the muzzles and stuff? Yes, especially the reins. And the, the horn, I believe, on the one on the right is a tribute to the um, classic horn that we just saw on the mm-hmm. wolf with the big boss. Yeah, I think it's the reins that had me leaping to the chariot in my mind, but the, the it's anchored very differently. So, yeah, that makes sense. He's done that all custom. It looks good. Even like the the um the grayer wolf, uh, which I do like the fur tones on that. Um, but the uh, the way he's really made that look natural, going into even the closed mouth. Um, and I think that's a really good good add there. Mustache is cool as well, isn't it? It's put mustache on those goblin heads. Yeah. Just to kind of hit that kind of uh, Mongolian sort of theme a little bit harder. Oh, wow, I hadn't even seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Okay, that does redeem the... the I mean, the thing I didn't like is it, it looked like the the lips were like way too big, but <laughs> second inspection is probably the, the mustache I'm seeing. Oh, I which, see. Which I makes see. a lot more sense. Right. Because other than that, the flesh tone he's used is kind of the old canonical flesh tone for Black Orcs. Yes. Also supposed to be from the Darklands. So it, it does make a fun amount of sense that this is what Greenskins look like the further east you go. Yeah, it could well be a thing like that, couldn't it? Yeah. And it's also an interesting thing with these Hobgoblin Wolf Riders that... um. Because we kind of had, uh, in the old metal ranges, you had the Scythian-style ones, which were marketed as slaves of the Chaos Dwarfs. And then you had the Dogs of War, Gazet Khan's Wolf Boys, who were much more Mongolian in feel. People tend to go down one or two routes, don't they, with their Wolf Boys, doing the Scythian horse archer thing or doing the kind of Mongolian horseman thing. And these ones are much more on that 
Mongolian side of that spectrum, as it were. These, to me, feel like they're more ravaging sellsword hobgoblins as opposed to hobgoblins who live in a Chaos Dwarf slave camp somewhere. Yeah, these boys are definitely from the Carnate, right? I think the other thing that's really interesting is with the, the sheer power of force of will and creativity, he has created something very akin to the only wolf riders currently sold by GW, which is the Underworlds. Is it a war band? Yeah, Ripper Snarlfangs. Ripper Snarlfangs. Because Ripper Snarlfangs, you know, the wolves are enormous, the goblins are small, and the, the pose is incredibly melodramatically, um, you know, physical. And this is that, but done yourself. And it has all the more personality for it, I think. The reins really impressed me. Um, I know they're a small touch and not beyond, um, you know, an experienced green stuffer unlike myself. But I just think that they've got this real sense of physicality to them that that blends the rider into the um, the wolf really nicely. And I think that takes us to the end of the, well, canonical entries for for this um it's gone. I don't see any other miniatures particularly worth talking about. I think some weirdo posted a bunch of his own shit on the end of the tab, but it didn't make any sense to me. So Yeah, basically some attention seeker, so probably just don't give him the time <laughs> of day. In all seriousness though, Jack, can we can we spend some time talking about it? Because you didn't you didn't, you know, do yourself justice when we were talking about the, the three or four regiments that um was it zod had posted earlier yes um, because you made an army that's got to have what 120 minutes isn't it <laughs> there's a difference in quality and quantity though zod's look the bollocks <laughs> oh we'll talk about how it looks later concepts the development why you ended up going so far what you wanted to achieve what you did what you used Okay, where should I start? Um, I was born in Basildon in 1999. Yeah. Um, right, so this uh, this began when the when the and the competition was first announced is around the time that the Dominion was simultaneously released and not selling, and for that reason, uh, people in the forum know this really really well. People outside of our little niche might not be aware the. The Minion box set doesn't seem to have sold as well as what people thought it would. And even to the people who it did sell quite well to, people didn't really want the Hobgoblins because their rules didn't uh, match particularly well with the Orcs that they were packaged with. So for people that actually are into the real, real game of Age of Sigmar and kind of want to play the rules as written, th these models weren't much use to them. So between both scalpers and actual people who have bought the models and have no use for them, selling them on eBay... The price of these miniatures were low, like really, really low, well below a pound a model. And so I bought a really stupid amount because I knew I wanted some hobgoblins at some point, but I just kept buying them. They were just so bloody cheap. So it got to the point that I had, you know, over 100 of these. And then I had that thought of what if I do the biggest golden hat entry anyone's ever done? What if instead of entering a model or a unit, I enter an army? And I, I scrolled through the golden hats of the past. And if someone has done it before, I couldn't find it. So I think it might be. 
it might be a CDO first. Well, I'm not sure if it is a first because as the story's going to go on, they didn't actually end up in the competition. Um, so the the idea was was can I create a hobgoblin army between now and the competition kind of a deadline? So what I did was I worked my way through the models, kept a lot of them basically as they were. I tried to keep the, the conversions quite simple um, and tried to keep nail down a paint scheme which would look good enough on the tabletop but it looked like I hadn't rushed or made a pig's ear of them but would also allow me to speed paint like I've never sped paint before and I ended up landing on a uh, combination of contrast and streaking ground to get my desired effect and um, yeah I ended up converting and painting up well in excess of a hundred goblins I've got um, goblins with bows goblins with spears and swords and shields wolf riders artillery heroes all sorts i mean i can put a link to the uh i can put a link to the blog in the in the post here so that people can if they're interested in seeing what i created they can have a look at it there so before we talk in a little bit more detail about some of the work you did i'm i'm sure michael and reaver will join me in pointing out some things <laughs> The two things I really wanted to compliment you on is I wanted to compliment you on the icon bearer with the burning icon. Yes. Um, mm. Which is a really elegant hand swap that you've done. And then just the sheer amount of work you've done with the Plague Monks kit, which is relatively well known in forum history as a good kit for Hobgoblin conversions. But yeah. inspired me to get into Storm Vermin and Plague Monk torso conversions for Hobgods. Um, and I think what you managed to achieve with those Plague Monk sneaky gits is really impressive. Lads, I don't know, you know, there's, there's so many conversions in this army that you guys could comment on. The one thing I think needs to happen, I'd like to see your uh, your Giant for Hire there show up to the uh, Gargant additions that uh, Abetsitter did in one of our past, uh, past competitions. <laughs> I think you really... He would really fit in that diorama well. I'd like to see that. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I thought that was just a, a fun ad. I'm glad you chose that as one of the pictures because, like, frankly, you just there's no way you were going to get every lovely little detail into four images. So, I mean, I, I like that choice specifically. I think that that picture draws uh, the most of my interest. I think it's hilarious, but it's also, I don't know, it just works for some reason. I like it. That model is a model that I've had for an extremely long time. It was originally sold by Ramshackle Games. I bought it about 10 years ago um, and I gave it a paint job, which I was really, really proud of at the time. And then I was looking at it 10 years later thinking, do I strip it and repaint it or do I, do I modernize it? Do I kind of give it a touch up? And I looked at the competition rules and it didn't say anything about had to be things that you were... Uh, had it just said he had had be things you hadn't shared before, so I ended up doing such an extensive rework on him that I might as well have painted him from scratch, to be honest. But um, I couldn't bring myself to uh, I couldn't bring myself to completely strip that model because um, when I when I first painted that, I was going back a long time now. I was still living at home, and uh, my dad complimented me on it. Now, my dad's a lovely fella, but full of compliments, he is not. And um, he said, did you buy that painted? And I said, no, I painted that myself. And he went, it's bloody good. That's probably going to go in my top five nice things my dad's ever said. So I couldn't strip that. 
<laughs> but I did modernize it. I just kind of gave it a load of new highlights, added some kind of darkness to the recesses and all that kind of stuff. Gave it a new person riding it. That bloke with the um the fiery chaos icon thing. Interesting thing about that fiery chaos icon bloke is um I think the uh it must be from some kind of standard or machine or something originally that thing. The fingers that are wrapped around that aren't actually fingers originally on the sculpt. It's rope that's wrapped all the way around it in three or four strands. But I just had to carve bits off of and add a thumb to the side to turn it into a hand. I like uh, one of the best things about these, and I really, I'm really bummed out that you didn't proper enter. Um, I like the fact that you actually write on the scrolls. Just a small detail that makes so much. Well, it adds so much detail. But the best thing about this is the the top uh, the lower left picture. You see the wolves, and you're like, oh, okay, nice wolves. And then you like look at the background, and you see like a million other uh, hobgoblins standing there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then you you swipe to the right, and like, oh, nice icon and a uh, nice giant. And then again, you look at the background. There's like just goblins everywhere you can see. Yeah, there are lots. There are lots. It takes up two shelves in my display cabinet now. So tell us a little bit about when you went to market, Jack, because you were inspired by the glut of 50p, 65p hobgrots, and their heads and limbs are all over this. Lots of them are, are physically as posed, but then you've done a bit of green stuff work. But tell us about some of the other things you did and, and where you got torsos and wolves and bodies from. Okay, so a lot of the wolves you'll see are classic Citadel wolves, the plastic wolves that uh, I had a load in my bits box. You can still get them, well, I was about to say you can still get them quite cheap, but actually even they are getting harder to get on eBay and stuff, those models. Um, but I had a load anyway, so yeah, they're the plastic wolves. Uh, the guys who are on the larger wolves, uh, they are on wolves from the Hobbit film, so wargs from, from that movie. The Lord of the Rings wargs always had a kind of like strange sort of like ursine look about them, but these Hobbit ones are definitely more... What's wolf? Lupine. Not ursine, lupine. Um, so yeah, a lot of those wolves are from that. The big wolf uh, that the Khan is riding is a... 40k uh, storm wolf thing. The space marines that ride around on wolves is, is one of those. Um, there's three wolves in that box and two of them have like metal legs and robotic eyes and stuff and only one of them is pure wolf. So that's the one I used. <laughs> uh, what else have I used? Oh, there's a little bit of um, the Lord of the Rings creeping in in places. So some of the models um, are Lord of the Rings uh, riders on those wolves and some of the heroes and stuff in the units are Lord of the Rings Urukai and Mordor orcs and stuff with, with their heads swapped out. Because although orcs are on a smaller scale in the Lord of the Rings, they kind of land on a similar place to where Hobgrots are in Age of Sigmar, just through pure luck. Weapon sizes are a bit different, hands are a bit different, but honestly, once you're in a massive unit... You don't notice too much. I find scale is so much more forgiving with things like orcs and goblins because they're orcs and goblins. They're little weird, mutated, horrible creatures. They're not like humans. If you mix scale in humans, you really notice it. But with green skins, I think your eye is just naturally a little bit more forgiving for that sort of thing. So I'm just leaning over and looking at my cabinet to try and remember what I made. 
Oh yeah, so I had a hobgoblin bolt thrower. That's an actual hobgoblin bolt thrower from from the nineties, just for the new crew. The crew are um, goblins from the Hobbit film with head swaps on. And I repurposed another hobgoblin bolt thrower, which was incomplete, just some bits from it, like parts of the chassis and the wheels, into that little one-man wolf chariot that I've got as well. And of course, Battlemasters, an army of mine is not complete if I, if I haven't included something from Battlemasters. The Battlemasters barbarian archers have had their heads cut off and hobgoblin heads put on. Probably I think that's everything. Most disciplined greenskin archery corps anyone's ever seen. I know, they mean business, don't they? <laughs> so, you know, I've I've made no secret about my love of like heavy armor, right? And I think the Urukai conversion is the one that we see and hear the least about that I'm most keen for you to finish. But in terms of other things you did to bring personality to the sculpts, tell us a bit about what you did with the core Age of Sigmar Hobgrots themselves, because they look quite different to the way they look out of the box. The conversions are very, very subtle, because speed was a real uh, factor in everything I was doing for this army. So what you'll notice is, is that one unit of them, they've had all of their grenades removed, and they've had shields added. The shields have been added for an old trick. It's dead easy. You get a, a little drawing pin. You cut the spike off. You've got a little buckler. You get a little blob of green stuff. Stick it in the middle. It's got the little round sort of boss in the middle of that buckler. It's that easy. So they've got these little shields added. To kind of give them a little bit more of an Easternish, well, more like a Mongolianish sort of look, those kind of like step nomadic sort of thing, I've gone for the fur helmets. And that was as simple as little green stuff, rings of fur around their kind of little spiky helmets but each unit is slightly different so one unit has the fur around their heads another unit is bare another unit i cut off the spikes and added like a little horse tail bit instead and another unit i think were just completely bald because there's a lot of bald heads you get through with that as well and then with the characters i went a bit crazy i like i gave the uh the khan like a a big kind of like moustache and a big horned helmet his horned helmet is actually um Partially his own hobgoblin helmet and partially a second edition Warhammer 40,000 orc goth helmet. Bits have been carved off of that and put onto him. And then the magician guy who's holding up the chaos symbol, he was just a bald one, but I just carved hair onto. I gave him a moustache and I gave him sort of like a shaved head at the sides and long ponytail sort of coming down. I'm not sure how it works in Warhammer if orcs can grow hair or not. Because I know in 40k so, they have to have little hair squigs and stuff. So hobgoblins have always had hair, even where other green skins tend not to. Yeah, so there you go. There's not a collection of squigs on their faces. They're just moustaches. <laughs> 1993 hobgobs have got hair, and it's slightly annoying because it's straggly, thin, you know, shoulder-length hair that spills out from under their hats. I was just um, remembering that now. Yeah. And it's not much fun to to paint against those other elements that you've already painted. But that's my fault for having absolutely no talent. Um, so thank you very much, Jack. First of all, it's a really gorgeous army and it well deserved the spread that it got. And I hope you had a lot of fun playing with it. Um, I do think it's ironic. Do you remember ages ago on the podcast, we did a whole segment on how to convert hobgoblins? Yeah. <laughs> and all the way through all of this, none of us used any of those techniques we talked about. 
Yeah, it just goes to show I listened to everything we had to say and decided it was utter bollocks. <laughs> to be fair, that was, that was hilariously pre-Hobgrot release anyway, right? So, oh, my God, yeah. We're, we're, we're so, we've got our finger right on the pulse, haven't we? We release a podcast about, hey, there are no Hobgoblins available, so why not do this? <laughs> Month later, Hobgoblins come out. Yeah, well done. Um, but equally, you know, while stocks last on those hobgrots, I myself have ended up with about 100 as well. And um, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of them, but I don't think I'm going to do all of them. The other thing I noticed about them that I think is really interesting is that their arms are really thin. They've got these big, beefy, muscular torsos, but their arms are really thin, especially compared to things like the arms of a storm vermin or a plague monk, which yeah. are much just thicker in the trunk, which is interesting. Um, but they're a versatile kit. This was an incredibly well-timed and fun contest. Everyone's entries were really great. Any other thoughts? None of the contest, really. I think we've we've summarised and wrapped up basically everything there, haven't we? Yeah, pretty much. Wonderful. So I think the main thing really to say is that um, people listening need to, need to come along to Chaos Dwarfs Online. As we always say, come get involved in the community. We had a lot of new people join us lately, especially after we've done some of that outreach work with, um, you know, Lawmaster of Sotek, and we've done a little bit of Crown of Command recently. Um, we've had a lot of new people come and join us. One thing I would say um, is that we have a a Discord server, which is really really great way of keeping in contact with fellow hobbyists who are interested in Chaos Dwarfs and great way of keeping in touch with people from the forum who who you know and chat to and stuff. But I would definitely stress that the heart of what we do is the Chaos Dwarfs online forum. If there's anywhere you should be joining, it should be that forum. The reason being is that every single thing you've seen today is just one part of a massive, massive library that we are constantly adding to and evolving over time. This has been going for over a decade. This has been going a long time that we've been adding content adding ideas, adding sketches, uh, artwork, stories, miniatures, sculpting tutorials. All of us in the user base have been adding this for so long now that it's become this massive library of ideas, a resource that hobbyists can use. Those involved in Chaos Dwarfs, those who are only ever passing interest in Chaos Dwarfs, will get a lot of quality content from there. So my call to action today is going to be, if you do anything today, join that forum, please. It'll be well, well worth it. Okay, so... Thank you so, so, so much for listening and thank you for continuing to support this podcast, continuing to support our community and everything that we do here. And thank you to every single one of you who entered this competition. There'll be more competitions coming soon, so get on the forum, come check it out. You'll be seeing all of that coming your way soon. But we've got to go now, so we're going to say goodnight from us all. All right, take care. See you later. Bye, everyone. Later. See you.